on like or, or let's or go like 2530 and see what happens oh okay and it turns out that as long as you're getting close to failure within that rep range Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on the Deficit Podcast, where our mission statement is to bring you good chats, life hacks, and everything in between to stimulate the deficit that you too deal with in your everyday life. I'm joined today with a good friend of mine, TJ. Why don't you tell us who you are? Uh, I'm nobody. Uh, nobody. All right. <laughs> I like that. Uh, in, uh, in kind of the strength and conditioning world, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of a somebody. Uh, I have been involved with fitness for 19 years, give or take. I think I started as a trainer in 2004. Uh, I went to school at the University of Alberta and cool. graduated with a, essentially a degree in sports performance. Like uh, kinesiology or Yeah, kind of like that. My degree is a coaching degree, so it's a little bit more practical than the, the kin side of things. It's not as science-based. I didn't know you could get a degree in coaching. Yeah, That's so cool. the I don't even know if the program still exists, actually, but it, it used to be called um, physical performance or physical activity and sport performance. So that's what I kind of did and then started getting into the industry. I was really lucky that I got an internship at a high-end hockey training facility. Oh, nice. Um, and that kind of put me on the path that I'm on now. I got to work with high-level athletes. And in my day job, working as a trainer, you don't get to do that. But then working as an intern with these high-level athletes. And part of my degree program was a it's a four-month internship. It wasn't like a 30-hour thing that you get in a lot of the other programs. I had to do it for a really long time. I was there for an entire summer wow. working eight-hour days. And so it really kind of built this huge amount of respect and desire to work with athletes going forward. Mm -hmm. And so that's essentially what I did. Um, so I, when I moved to Vancouver, I got involved with Volleyball Canada. And then I was the, uh, I opened a gym in 2013 to work with athletes. And that's a whole other conversation. Athletes have no money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we ended up training regular people. I was lucky enough to get on with Simon Fraser University as their head strength coach twice. Oh, wow. Um, I was the interim head coach in 2015. And then I was there for four years between 2017 and 2021. Wow. So um, as like a strength coach, you work with, I guess, all the different sports yeah, departments. Yeah, the, uni the university was really interesting. Um, I, My coaching style in particular is not super conducive to a college environment. SFU is an NCAA school as well, which is highly unusual. It's the only mm -hmm. one outside of the U.S. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, everything else is, is done now that we're the only school outside of it. So Wild. It was interesting. Um, the the stuff that I do, again, you know, I, I've been a strength coach for a really long time. Um, I have a particular methodology and kind of a way of coaching that's not, like, I'm not a super aggressive person. So the whole, like, mm -hmm. screaming and yelling and cheerleading coaching style, that's just not for me. And oh. unfortunately, at a university level, particularly with football programs, mm -hmm. um, being kind of one of the, the big components to it it didn't always go over very well okay um we had you know kind of a disconnect there however a lot of the other sports that's not the case um i have a background in combat sports wrestling and mixed martial arts and so the wrestling team and then of course the volleyball team that i had come in with from yeah. volleyball canada um and i kind of you know hit things off and they were they're really the ones that i've i've still specialized in i still train volleyball players and wrestlers and cool. stuff like that so after the time of university was done i'm now working with wrestling canada so i've been the strength coach for kind of our world team 
Oh, that's wicked. Here. Really? Yeah, since 20... When did I take that over? 2018. I think so it's been five years now that I've been working with our world team members. So I've got six or eight of them that I work with on a regular basis. And then a whole ton of mixed martial arts athletes. I think I've got seven or eight professionals and... 10 amateurs and like I said, a bunch of volleyball players and stuff still. So that's kind of who I am. I, I'm, I don't nice. know if that answered the question. It's a little bit more of a pedigree yeah. as opposed to yeah, who. Yeah, I mean, but it, um, you have your own facility now too. What's the call? What's it called? I do. It's called Strong Side Conditioning. So, good name. Yeah. It's a really good name. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. So I, I originally called it Cider Strength uh, after myself, obviously, when we first opened. Yeah. And I had a huge debate when I did it as to whether or not to call it Cider Strength or Strong Side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the inspiration for that was obviously from the... Um, uh, Remember the Titans movie, which is a great scene if you've, yes. if you've, if you've ever seen it. So um, it, it just worked. And then so when I had to step away from the gym to work at the university, it made sense to kind of remove my name from it because I was no longer really actively involved for a while. Mm. Um, okay. And that's that's changed. I'm back kind of full time now. I still don't do a lot of day-to-day stuff with the gym, but I train, again, predominantly athletes. Yeah. And so in, in your gym, you kind of come up with like customized um, routines for specific people like if you have like a professional football player in or someone who's trying to get in pro then you can like custom tailor an exercise routine for them or? yeah everything is custom so yeah. no matter who you are it doesn't really matter um, we treat kind of regular people the way that I treat athletes you know the system doesn't change that much it just depends on how you're structuring the protocol cool so when you come into my facility I, I built it because I hate personal training which yeah. is <laughs> the irony of that, considering I do it for a living, um, you know, when, look, I'll give you the basic premise. So if you're a reasonably intelligent human being, mm-hmm. if you're working with a trainer one-on-one and outside of really needing that feedback, like somebody's like monitoring you all the time or breathing down your neck, if a good trainer does what they're supposed to do and designs a program for you based on whatever the assessment they're using, yep. okay, we're not going to play favorites. And they teach you to do that program. By the second or third week of doing the same program, because you should be doing that, workouts don't work as well when they're random. Yeah. You probably know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I probably don't need to cue you on every single exercise. I don't need to tell you what the next one is if you've got it written down somewhere. Yeah. So you're paying me to do what then? Count and hand you weights? (laughs) Like... Like that. I, much, I have, yeah, I have better I things so. to do with my time and you have better things to do with your money. So yeah. the way that I designed the gym was kind of a hybrid model. So you come in and you learn how to do your program in one of those one-on-one sessions. And again, it's built on an assessment that um, I've kind of stolen from a bunch of really, really smart people and amalgamated into our own process. Cool. And then you get taught how to do it. Then the remainder of the month, it works like a normal gym. So you book in, you come in, you do your workout, it's waiting for you, but it's designed for you. My coaches then float. So when you're trying to figure out an exercise because you don't remember it, you get a little bit of reinforcement. Cool. So you're not always having somebody coach you for everything that you're doing. So it's kind of empowering. You have to learn to do your own thing. Yeah, and then you got someone there to make sure that if they're doing something like a deadlift, the form's right, and they're not going to blow their back out. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or if you did do something dumb, like, hey, I drove for 13 hours yesterday coming back from you know, Calgary. Yeah. Okay. Well, pr- deadlifts are in my program today. Maybe we're going to modify that to something else. Like my really? back's a little sore. Let's do something else. And so my coaches are all really, really good. And that's exactly what they do. They, they modify, they push when it's needed. They pull back when it's needed. Cool. Um, yeah. And it's a really, really good system. It's hard to explain outside of a five minute conversation. Mm-hmm. So the elevator pitch doesn't really work for us, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it's a really good system. It's, it's done really well for us and it, it's, it's quite popular. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, like, you you deal with 
like athletes and, and average people, I'm assuming. Do you yeah. ever have people in with, say, like, um, a, like a sensitive cardio system? Like, like you know, some people have like, uh, uh, there's a, a thing called POTS, and it's postio-orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Okay. People generally have a resting heart rate of like upwards of 95 to <laughs> like 100 BPM, and like they have a issue where the signal from their brain telling their legs to uh, push blood up when they stand up, it's a little bit behind. So yeah, like they, they tend to have like issues with circulatory things. They can't stand up too fast, cause them to faint. You know, these things can be mitigated by certain exercises and, and diet and stuff. But I'm wondering if you ever have uh, clients come through your gym with conditions like that. That one in particular, no, that's cool though. I'd love to try to work with somebody like that. I, know we, um, <laughs> I do know one, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be pretty rare. Uh, yeah, we work with everybody. So the cool part about, again, the way that we've put the gym together is that, you know, I have a background in strength and conditioning and I'm a therapist. I have a kinesiologist. I actually have two kinesiologists on staff. Oh, wow. Um, I have a physio on staff as well. And so anything that tends to pop up, we can probably deal with. Um, if we have to involve one of the medical staff, then we involve the medical staff. And again, we don't do anything outside of what, you know, kind of the doctor's orders stuff are, but yeah, yeah we've rehabbed just about anything. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't think there's anything that we've ever encountered where we've gone, Hey, you know, this probably isn't for you. We, we, I don't think we can help, mm -hmm. um, everything from, you know, we've had Bell's palsy come in, you know, people that have partial paralysis. We have, really? yeah, you know, lots of, you know, neuralgias and, and problems with disc issues. We've had, um, wasting issues, you know, things that have nerve entrapments and people, you know, couldn't feel, couldn't move very well. All their strength was gone. I've had Fun. major, major injuries, car accidents, yeah. cancer. Yeah. I mean, it just, a lot of it, it just depends on, on what it is that you need at that what kind of moment in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The nice part about strength training in general is, man, man exercise is just so adaptable, mm -hmm. Like you can do anything with anybody. You just have to find what works. You know, I have a um, if you have time, I'll tell you a, a story. We got so, nothing but time, man. Yeah, <laughs> I have a um, you know one of my very best friends, and I tell this story all the time because anytime I feel unmotivated or like my back hurts or oh my shoulder hurts from jujitsu last night or yeah. whatever, I and I don't want to go do something. This guy is my motivation because he's like the Terminator or like a Robocop. <laughs> okay, <I'm laughs> first, first of all, he's hard to kill, and second of all, he just keeps coming back. So he, uh, to, to tell you kind of the long story of, of his life, and I'll get some facts wrong and he can yell at me later, but <laughs> when he was growing up, he was a fairly high-level athlete, lacrosse, hockey, um, and he started developing scoliosis when he was a teenager. And so mm -hmm. he's older than I am, and so the, the surgeries that they used to do to correct it used to be small corrections at a time. So they eventually sandwiched his back between a couple of titanium rods. And I think he had something like 19 surgeries to have it done over the course of a number of years. Holy shit. Yeah, right. So so already, that's a fairly major impact on your day-to-day -day life. It Although it sounds medieval. Like, it, it, I mean, it's a little draconian, man. Like, yeah. the scars on his back are pretty gnarly. That's um, But it didn't really stop him from doing anything. Yeah, he can't twist and bend the same way, but he still did downhill mountain biking. He still was a daredevil on a motorbike. He raced cars. Like he did all, yeah, he did all this crazy stuff. Well, racing motorbikes ended up catching up to him. He had a, a horrific accident. So he T-boned a lady who was on her phone, pulled up from a gas station. Now, they were going too fast, and they were running a light, but mm -hmm. she also wasn't paying attention. So whoop. unfortunately, on a motorbike, it doesn't matter who's at fault. You are a human projectile. Yep. So he T-boned her doing something like 150. 
Holy shit. Yeah. So he broke his hands. He missed her, the A-pillar of her car by, I think, an inch and, you know, would have killed himself. Uh, yeah. You know, broke his helmet. So when he landed, he landed on his back, uh -oh. broke his pelvis. Yeah. Um, broke broke we actually broke one of the rods in his back we didn't know about it until much 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 later after i had met him and then he skidded on his back until he came in contact with the median so for those squeamish don't think about that too badly but it, it basically from the knees down there was nothing left oh my god brutal Holy yeah shit. and wow. so they so the doctor he didn't die the doctors rebuilt him like Robocop, yeah. like from pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like wow. We can rebuild him. We can make him better. So they, they put his body back together again. You know, he's in a wheelchair. He had to relearn how to walk, uh, all these other things. And so on top of all of that, the guy has Charcot-Marie Tooth. He's got muscular dystrophy. Oh, my God. So the recovery process is also really, really challenging for him because he doesn't respond to strength training and exercise the same way, right? His, his body fights it and he's got a wasting illness. So... Now, when he came to see me, mm -hmm. I have an assessment that I've kind of put together. Basic movement stuff. Can you move your shoulders? You know, how do you yeah. look at Can you touch your toes? He could do none of those things. His back doesn't bend. You know, he, he has, you know, pins and screws and plates and pieces of legs from the knees down. And he has muscular dystrophy. So he doesn't have the same kind of strength anymore that other people do as he gets older. Jesus. So okay. the assessment suddenly becomes, well, what can you do? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, okay, my assessment is useless now, but yeah. let's try to find stuff. Can we put you on a machine and get you to squat? Can we put you on a machine and get you to do some bench press style movements? Maybe Can just we... chew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, he's, the guy's in chronic pain. He's tougher than nails. It's yeah. insane. So he just tried stuff. Yeah. And eventually we got to a point where we could get him to do exercises that were going to improve general movement. We got him stretching, we got him moving. And he was told after his accident, you know, and he went through extensive physio and as you would, that he would probably never golf again, never ride a motorbike, never ride a horse. Oh man. Um, yeah. He did all those things. Good. Oh man. I, I don't know what I'd do without golf. It's, fucking... <laughs> it's not, I play it, but I, yeah. I play whack fuck. I don't, yeah. I don't golf. I mean, I have, I have guys that do, but I mean, that's the, so that's my point. You can take anybody that has a massive problem yeah. And if you approach it in the right way with some genuine curiosity and some compassion, you can mm -hmm. find ways to get people to train, right? Like you don't have to assume that everybody needs to train like you do on Instagram, which is generally a bad idea, but yeah, you can just find ways to do it. That's the best part about my job. Yeah. Wow. So now he's walking around moving all that. Like... Yeah. I mean, longer, longer story. He had another accident because he decided to take up downhill mountain biking again and he missed a, I don't know, something like a 20 foot decline jump and... Just himself. a glutton for punishment. Uh, yeah, I eh? mean, the guy, like I said, he's hard to kill, and he came back from that one too. He had to have another back surgery. So yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's my hero. So wow, that's why. That's why I say when I'm in pain, I go, yeah, but he walks. Yeah, so. I guess I have <laughs> but, no excuse. Yeah, I have no excuse. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of hard to feel like you're having a rough time when you look at a guy who was just yeah, like a sack of meat and yep, bones. Absolutely. Until yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. You know, he was in one of those giant like ring halo casts around his pelvis for six months or whatever it was. Yeah, it was insane. Holy shit. Yeah. So, like I said, he's just tough to kill. So he's my inspiration for anything that I have a hard time doing. And so, have you always had this approach at your gym since you opened it? Has it always been that kind <laughs> yeah, of model? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, so my background. Uh, you know, my learning background was kind of through a little bit of an old school strength and conditioning coach that was, uh, how do you describe Charles? If, if people are listening to this podcast and they know who Charles Poliquin was, you know, he's kind of larger than life. He, he said a bunch of stuff that turned out to be not true. He embellished a lot of things and 
he was a bit of a savant, but his approach to training was almost wildly technical. Mm. And so movement quality, like there was nothing that, that he did in an exercise program that was flashy. And so most of my approach isn't flashy. So it makes me mad when I see a lot of the stuff on online that people are doing just for clout because it's not there's some there are some wild oh, wild methods dude, uh, you know and the worst part about it is the Instagram. people that seem to know the least are the ones that are capable of doing the most online right yeah like they, they have no shame so yeah. it's like i'm just gonna put this stuff out there and people are gonna gobble it up and it, it just turns out that it's not not effective but it looks great <laughs> uh, so, but my approach has always been really technical and so once i started doing that and got into the, the therapy side of things no it was a pretty easy transition we've always been probably more conservative with our approach to to fitness and exercise you know we don't you know we used to call ourselves like the cure for crossfit yeah right like when crossfit first came out and everybody was getting hurt because they didn't have a scaling process for it that was that when was you say for... a scaling process well so crossfit I, actually for the record i actually really like crossfit mm-hmm. i did a little bit myself yeah and I, I like it as a sport in particular because as a coach it's really hard to program for mm-hmm. because you have to build all of these really cool qualities, right? You have to do gymnastics movements and you have to do Olympic lifting and you have to be able to run and, yeah. you know, like that's not normal movement. And and the idea behind it originally was be f- good at everything, right? Jack of all trades yeah. kind of an idea. Peak um, athleticism. Yeah. Sort of so yeah. now the way that CrossFit has evolved is you have really, really good CrossFit coaches. Mm-hmm. And I don't know many gyms out there, even in Vancouver, and it used to be a hotbed for it here, but... um you know, that are out hurting people. It, okay. It's just not a thing anymore. I think most CrossFit gyms are 90% great. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't see the Instagram or Facebook stuff anymore, YouTube videos of CrossFit fails. It's just not as, as, as common. So, but when it started, you know, I owe CrossFit a huge debt because they brought boutique gyms back into the limelight, right? They, they made them cool again. And so I wouldn't have a business if it weren't for CrossFit because- okay those small gyms just weren't yep. really a thing. You had to go to these high-end personal training studios and we fit right in this really middle niche kind of kind of realm. And so CrossFit was really good. But at the time that I opened, CrossFit was still bad. <laughs> yeah. and, and so CrossFit's popular. So we kind of operate like CrossFit. Yeah. And we charge similar to CrossFit, but you get stuff designed for you and it's safer and... Nice. Yeah. Custom so, tailored. Yeah, exactly. Routines. You know, like broken, we can fix you. Yeah. That was our idea. Yeah, yeah. That's wicked, man. Uh, so when it comes to like developing these routines for them and stuff, aside from the exercises, are you guys at all involved in like the diet side of it at all? We offer it, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I think. Do you have a nutritionist? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't even know how to describe that. I've been in the business long enough that I've dabbled in just about everything. Yeah. So I have nutrition certifications. I've let them go over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two other people that work for me that are uh, that work with precision nutrition. Which, if you again want to Google stuff, I mean, John Berardi, one of the founders of it, is one of the most brilliant minds I think in, in nutrition around. Okay. Um, so yeah, we do offer it. I work more on the sports side of things, um, but you know, my staff work well with anybody that has other issues. And yeah. I'm kind of a I I tend to collect oddballs when it comes to people that work for me. The misfits. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, that's so, how we are here too. Yeah, it's, it works really well. You know, my gym. One of the things that we say all the time is, if you don't like gyms, you'll love mine. Cool. Because if you don't fit in somewhere else or you feel, you know, judged or you're worried about how you look or it's hard to first get in there. My wife, she's she tries to go to the gym every once in a while. Um she uses the one in our building when she does now. But she's gone to a, a couple of public gyms with me and it's always like unless you've like grown up casually yeah, it's in hard. gyms. Yeah. And it's it's really 
especially for the self-esteem. It, you feel like all the eyes are on you. Always. Gyms suck, and, yeah. and everybody is in there to judge or to show off or to get their own, you know, ego stroke. It, it drives me bonkers. And so we don't have that mentality mm -hmm. at the gym. You know, if you are worried about any of those things, that never happens. You know, or as a, as inclusive a gym as you can, you know, probably ever find. Well, um, okay. Which is great. Um, but the the nutrition side of thing the the point I was trying to make is you know I have had eating disorders mm -hmm. um, so I when I was a teenager I was obese mm -hmm. uh, you know I was I think I stopped weighing at three hundred pounds I didn't look at the scale again after that wow when I was about seventeen and then I did everything wrong I starved myself I abused diet pills I you know yeah. so I have I have eating disorders I struggle with them you know day to day and I have staff that have worked. On the, that work on the nutrition side of things that are the same. So one of my guys is an ex-football player. He was a lineman, so he was 330-some-odd pounds he when he like played for me. CFL or college? College, or? yeah, cool. college ball. But, you know, 330-some-odd pounds when he played, and now he weighs in at a cool 230, and he's still strong as hell. and Probably ripped his shit, too. Yeah, I mean, for a big guy, yeah, yeah, as much as he can be. And then I have uh, another staff member, and she she deals with kind of the emotional leading side of things and, and stuff. So it, it we're pretty varied, but well, we can answer cool. most questions. Anything yeah. that we don't. I have a great network we can outsource. Wild. That's that's really cool, man. That I had no idea that it was so like personalized and dynamic in that sense. I think that's, it has to be, you know, yeah. that you know, we make big generalizations about fitness and nutrition all the time. But uh, you know, I have a friend of mine that that owns a company that that does a bunch of education and the name of the company is N1 and the idea behind that is it's you are an N1, right? Everybody's individual. So what works for one person may not work for somebody else. Yeah. And that, that's always the thing that, you know, we talk about is if you're going to start an exercise program, which one's the best? The one that you're going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you like lifting weights, great. If you like kickboxing, great. If you like Zumba, dance away, man. Like, you, you got to do something to move. And if it's the one that you're going to stick to, great. Same thing with diets. You know, when you look at the research, the best diet is the one that you can adhere to. It actually, the rest of it is largely irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, like, differently... Um, our bodies are built individually. Like, um, uh, my wife a while back, she went to a, uh, uh, naturopath because mm -hmm. she just wasn't feeling good right. on a day-to-day -day basis. Found out she actually has an, uh, inflammatory response to over 95 different foods. <laughs> Nasty. And, yeah. And like the, the worst ones were like the ones that she was eating the most. Yeah, like, that's pretty common. You know, some of that is just because it's a repeat exposure. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like scratching an itch, right? Like yeah. picking a scab, it gets worse because you keep picking at it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, that's not, that's not any better. But, you know, the, I think most people, I don't remember what the, the new numbers are, but there was a statistic for a while that said people eat, I think, between 9 and 13 foods in a week. That's it, different mm -hmm. foods. They don't rotate them that much. So common nutrition sense is eat everything, eat a rainbow, eat seasonally, all these things that are theoretically yeah. simple. We don't. It's yeah. convenient. So you buy the same stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, like, why would I, why would I bother buying market fresh stuff and prepping all that when I can just get a box of mac and cheese and some bacon, right? It's like. Wow. I mean, but bacon is like a superfood. That's true. <laughs> Not bacon because it's a superfood, but have you had bacon? Yes. <laughs> you will never go back. Yeah, bacon, right. <laughs> bacon is, that, that's it. That's the, that's the one that turns vegans into meat. If there was yeah. anything that was going to do it, it was probably going to be bacon. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely. my diehard, man. Bacon and pork belly just in general. Like, uh, now you're just making me hungry. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's it's just it is it, it's it's one of those things where it, your food can have a huge impact on your life, and yeah. if you don't know it's food causing the problem, oh man, that's a nightmare. Oh yeah, like I I I've got like an IBS thing going on, and like I didn't realize what it what was doing it until I started trying to just like eliminate certain things from my diet, mm -hmm. 
And Did you have any success with it? Yeah, yeah. I, I um, at first week, the uh, the first one I did was I went without dairy, right? Uh, no milk, no cheese, anything like that. And suddenly, I was starting to feel a lot better on that ah, first movement of the morning, right? And then after that, I cut out uh, gluten and grains for mm-hmm. a while, and just supercharged all of a sudden. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. It was so uh, it was ironic too, because like all through my high school career and like. Even in elementary school, I used to have a really hard time in the bathroom. Right, right? take me forever. You're sitting there, the pain. Things aren't moving. Yeah, yeah. You're sweating. Moving too fast. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like you're like praying to God you survive this experience. Right, it's this whole thing. Um, And I sweats. Yeah, big time. (laughs) You're taking the shirt off. Right, you just can't handle it anymore. George Uh, Costanza. (laughs) (laughs) Big time, big time, and like. So, like, all through that, I, I used to, I just, I loved milk. Right. I loved milk. I loved, and there's, like, out in Kamloops, there's this dairy farm there called Blackwell Dairy. Okay. And I still can't find a chocolate milk like the one that Blackwell Dairy has. They use the homogenized milk, so it's nice and thick. Yeah, yeah. It's the good stuff, right? And that used to be, like, my go-to all the time. In high school, too, I'd always have a fucking jug of this sure, Blackwell yeah. Dairy milk, right? And, um... Well, especially, because you wrestled, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you needed... It's one of those things. People don't understand how much energy you're putting Protein, out when man. you do that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chocolate milk is nectar of the gods for oh, most athletes when you're on a budget. Big time, dude. It was <laughs> got me by. It really got me by. And, like, you know, it was it was a sad day when I realized that I couldn't have milk anymore. You know? I can still do some cheeses. Yeah. Anything. Is it, is it lactose that you're sensitive to or the casein protein? Or did you kind of isolate one re- or the other? I'm not really sure which. I, I know that I can eat certain cheeses. Anything like heavily creamy though, not so much. Yeah, like, I, I can't do sour cream. If right. I have like just a dollop, You're screwed. I'm screwed. Yeah, yeah. nights over. Probably something like the lactose. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I've been doing like oat milk and stuff like that, which has been you know helpful for sure, but boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I use it for my protein shakes essentially. Fair like, it, it's it's been a sad life without chocolate milk. I gotta say that much. Yeah. Like, you know, unfortunately, at least you're lucky that you were able to eliminate it with something simple like just dietary restrictions. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm on the unlucky side of things. So I've had the same problem. I've had gut issues my whole life. And again, especially when you're overweight, you can attribute a lot of that stuff to gut health. But yeah. I have done elimination diets and I have done, you know, everything that you can imagine for to try to help it from a natural standpoint. And unfortunately, none of that stuff works. I can cut out everything for really. You know, yeah. No. So what I'm, do you, what do you, what 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 helps you then? Meds. Meds. Okay. <laughs> Drugs are great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's certain things that just need to be medicated. Yeah, and it, yeah. it works for me. You know, it's it's all I really needed. But I have, I've eliminated milk for uh, I think the longest I went was four months without any sort of dairy. I've gone a while. I went a really long time without gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped. It helped my breathing. Really, it helped congestion. It didn't help my guts. No. Mm. Yeah, so, there's, that's the thing. Like, if, if you go to, like, all the lengths and, like, an elimination diet like you were talking and just try to do whatever you Sometimes the answer is medical. Like, well, I mean, you can it, attribute man. a lot of things to gut health, but sometimes you're just fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you have a problem that you need to have medicine for, right? Yeah, I, I had to come to that conclusion earlier this year oh, myself. It's like, it's like your ADHD, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I what, tried. What's the point of your podcast? You're talking about stuff because you have this, like, massive deficit dump, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Like, sometimes you need meds. Well, that, and that's that's exactly <laughs> what it came to for me. Like, I, I, I tried, I am, like, a staunch opposition to the pharmaceutical companies in right. the first place, so... I tr- I tried to do. They say like all you gotta do is like you, you exercise enough. Sure. You you do certain things that will yeah. help that dopamine that response work? to kick off. Thing is, 
couldn't initiate it. Nope. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> eventually, chance. after good luck to with a, that, yeah, therapist for a year went to a psychiatrist. He's like, here. Oh, you need to do Vivant. cognitive behavior yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. try Vivans. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Here's had some... I, man, had I known, I would have done way better in school. Oh, I know. It's like it, it was. It's crazy. Like it literally within like a week of starting on like the small dose, I was like actually just doing yeah. the I mean, thing. I turned thirty nine here in two days. I didn't find out for until I was thirty seven. Fucking look that at I had over. a medical. That I had a medical. <laughs> man, you could pass for twenty eight. I bet you could get in like some of them. That that makes me so happy. Yeah, good. That makes me so happy. Keep it with you. I want yeah. you to take that as a treat. <laughs> I appreciate. It. I don't have That's, any physical merchandise. Right, I don't but... get paid to do this, but yeah. that one, yeah. that one, that'll stick with me. That's perfect. We, I like it. We pay in self esteem. Oh. Yeah. oh, that's a good way to do it, man. <laughs> we could all use a little bit more of that, right? If only money wasn't so important. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Sad reality of of every industry. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how um. How would you approach somebody who's like coming into your gym and, and is saying like there's these certain things that I need to correct and like I'm, I'm having these issues and you find out that there are like digestive issues they're experiencing and stuff. Have you ever had to like softly nudge someone into maybe seeing a doctor about getting on a medication 100%. for it? Yeah. yeah, 100%. There's certain things in the industry that, well, actually I can take a step back. So I have never lost a client because I've referred out. Mm. You know, I don't know if if you're a young trainer, if you're somebody new to the industry or a, a therapist or whatever it happens to be, if you're worried about somebody else poaching your members, your clients, your your potential prospects because you don't have the answer to something and you need to refer out, that is not a negative. I've never lost somebody for that reason. If anything, it tells them that you're confident in the fact that you have somebody else to help them because all they care mm -hmm. about is that they're going to get better. Yeah. So if you send a new client to say, hey, this is way outside my wheelhouse, man, because again, in Canada in particular, most of the most of the professions are fairly well protected. Like dietitians work with doctors. Mm -hmm. So nutritionists are kind of this nasty gray zone. So is personal training, unfortunately. Yeah, so what, but, what is the difference? If you don't mind me like going on a tangent here, dietitian versus a nutritionist, what, what would that? Dietitian is regulated. That's it. Yeah, it's the big one. So a, a dietetics degree is specific from university. Um, it is a science degree. You do pass board exams as a registered dietitian. Okay. They have... They have a certain amount of leeway to make medical decisions when it comes to food. Uh, and a lot of times they end up working in the medical community. So they work at hospitals and they work with doctors and they oh, work wow. with okay. things like that. Um, the really good ones will kind of parlay that into sports performance because you can kind of do that as a as another step up. It's not a, to the best of my knowledge, it's mm -hmm. not a general component of their learning. I think, I'm sure they talk about athletics. Yeah. Um, but then you can get sports dietitians that are, you know, really, really focused on that side of things. A nutritionist is somebody that understands nutrition that's done some sort of education. It's not regulated. Um, and so to the best of my knowledge, even from a, like an insurance standpoint, I'm not convinced that there's, most mm. of them have insurance. Okay. So nutritionists, the difference is a dietitian can give you like essentially a prescription. Like you need to eat these things to fix this problem. Yeah, I'm prescribing you kale for a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. But... <laughs> A nutritionist can give advice. Okay. And any nutritionist that claims to treat a problem, oh, yeah, we can fix your IBS. I know how to treat that problem. No, you don't. You're yeah. a nutritionist. You can give advice. Okay. Um, people are not obligated to follow it, right? And obviously, if they're paying you and you choose to, that's fine. Right. Um, 
but it, it's not regulated. And unfortunately, that's done a lot of damage to the industry too. Um, on the bodybuilding side of things in particular. Yeah, I've seen uh, a lot of that on Instagram. Like, Yeah, I, I mean, it's really unfortunate, man. I, you know, the, the physique industry is already really fucked up, yeah. you know, mentally. I mean, you're dealing with people that obviously have body image issues a lot of the time. Yeah. Either too big, too small, or whatever got Dysmorphia them into it in the first place. Sure, sides, yeah. whatever got them into it in the first place. And then structured eating can very, very easily lead to disordered eating. So yeah. you were a wrestler. Mm-hmm. What, what weight class did you wrestle at? Uh, I think 56 kilo. Okay. And sure. what did you walk at? Well, there wasn't a lot of cutting. Yeah, in high school, probably not. Back then, right? but like, yeah, there was still like, you know, if it, if it, at walking around, about the same. I mean, I was Pretty I was much lean in high sure. school. Yeah, right? there's yeah, there's a lot of like it wasn't just wrestling. I'd, but how I'd, neurotic did you have to be with your food to make sure that you stayed at the same weight, or were you just lucky to be one of the guys when you were younger? I was skinny? I was lucky that okay, way. So well, when, you, when I was younger, I was a. F- pretty chubby kid i actually right. did have some body weight issues but uh after grade wrestling nine while wrestling football and <laughs> yeah. you know rugby i was in taekwondo for six years too yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah all that stuff i got lucky that way but i i knew i know a lot of people in my friend group who have struggled with that exact premise for a long time yeah it's it, it's really hard like i i deal with a lot of the food for my fighters and my wrestlers um my wrestlers not so much wrestling canada has dietitians on staff and they deal with most of those guys but my fighters, on the other hand, you know, a lot of these guys come from a wrestling background or, mm-hmm. you know, some sport where they're required to maintain a certain level of body weight. Yeah. And because nobody's teaching proper food habits or food hygiene, whatever you want to call it, you get these guys that are consuming so little food and their outputs are so high and they wonder why they're sick or they get hurt or they just don't understand it. And yeah, it, that focus and that kind of obsession with maintaining a body weight leads to disordered eating. Yeah. You know, suddenly these guys are, you know, I, I can't consume carbs because they'll make me fat. Well, yeah, because you've had no carbs for the last two years. And suddenly when you're trying to fuel yourself, you gain six pounds overnight. Well, yeah, it's not fat. You just filled out finally, right? You're <laughs> actually properly fueled. So a large portion of what I do with athletes is breaking bad habits for nutrition. You know, I would have guys that are fight at 135 pounds that walk at 165, which is a whole other ballgame. But, um, you know, that would be consuming something like, you know, 1,800 calories a day. Well, That's nothing. No. Like, you wrestled. How many calories do you think you burn in a wrestling practice? 800? (laughs) 1,000? Yeah, yeah. You know, jujitsu, I've worn my heart rate monitor when I'm on the mats before, and my lightest day is 700 calories in an hour. I'm a a big guy, so that that helps, but... Man, if you're a decent athlete and you train two, three, or four times a day, you might burn fifteen hundred to two thousand calories. Yeah. Calories is fuel. You need you need you that, have right? yeah you yeah. have to have it. Mm-hmm. So I had guys that were probably consuming less than they were burning in activity. Never mind what their base rate was, and mm-hmm. they were wondering why they were slow and sleep sucked and yeah. So it's it's a huge problem. Disordered eating is a major issue. Yeah, it's uh, especially nowadays with like the the onset of social media and stuff you see it a lot in like teenagers sure. and in like a high school world too man i could i would not want to be a teenager now oh man with the, social media the, yeah i i think i graduated there's shit that we did that i'm so glad nobody had a camera for oh big time 
And like, let alone like, even with like, <laughs> like I would have gotten so much more trouble. Yeah, and even Mom, with like don't the, listen the messenger apps and stuff. Like, you, you you go home and the bullying doesn't stop. Right, and know? I mean, I was a fat kid. I was bullied. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the hockey guys. I've I've, I've hated hockey for years because of that. I never um, played it. I never understood. <laughs> I never understood the guys who played it either. It was I, like, I got my revenge though. That that yeah. internship that I talked about was all hockey players. Oh, nice. so I got to be the trainer and yeah, kick their yeah. butt on a regular basis. Cool. So I, cool. That was my trauma. I, f- I fixed that. On top of like, I guess it's we're on the topic of like somewhat um, negative effects of certain societal standards and stuff. Um, what's your take on the whole like man up thing with like young guys in sports? Because I know like when I was in football, there are times when I would wake up on the grass and just run back to the huddle when instead I should have probably gone oh, and sat down, right? That, that, but, you mean like the machismo side of things? Yeah, like you're like, not hurt, walk it off, rub well, some dirt on it stuff? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of that, at least in my experience. Um, in the world of like physical sports, which is, you know, a, a certain amount is probably necessary. Right. But yeah. I, I, so again, interestingly enough, because I deal with guys that block punches with their face, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the good ones tend not to, but yeah, yeah, duck your head into it. That's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the, the problem with that whole man up idea is there's no replacement policy on body parts. So when things start to get damaged, you know, that wear and tear, you know, there's nowhere for it to go. It just adds up. Most of your body, the like humans are really adaptable. Mm-hmm. We can survive a huge amount of, my friend is a great example, but humans can survive a huge amount of punishment. I think the thing that still isn't talked about enough, I mean, it's way better, but it's not talked about enough is brain trauma. Yeah. Head injuries, CTE. TBI stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, again, I have I have guys that don't get hurt badly. You know, they'll get kind of like, you know, a little wobbled in practice or something like yeah. that. Wobbled can be a concussion. Oh yeah, you know, it doesn't. You don't have to go out to be concussed. You don't have to, you know, forget which day it is. Yeah, something moved your head fast enough for your brain to hit the wall. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, and and you know, angular stuff is even worse. So you know, something like that stupid slap fighting shit that they've got now. Oh like, my god, super entertaining to watch. It's rotational force. It's going sideways. Yeah. It's so much worse for you than taking something. Head People on. seem to think that because it's an open hand, it's like less harmful to your brain, and that makes no sense at all. If anybody listens to this, Boss Rutan is one of the kind of the. He's a you know Hall of Famer in the UFC. Boss, he's one yeah. of the greatest martial artists of all time. And a brutal, brutal man. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a brutal man. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, in Pancration, when he used to fight in Japan, they didn't allow closed-handed strikes, right? You had to hit with the palm heel. Yeah, palm strikes. Uh, yeah, like palm strikes. And he still stuff. advocates for the palm strike over the fist because you don't break your fingers. It yeah. hits just as hard, you don't get hurt. So, no, the Guess open-handed slap no hitting with a massive bony... Yeah. Like, no, it's still going to hurt like crazy. That's oh, yeah. a huge amount of force. And those guys aren't like bitch slapping each other. No. Have you seen this? Like throwing a discus. Yeah. They, they let them it's stand a wind up. straight arm and wind up. Like, And they even let them rehearse it like a golf swing. Oh, I know. First. It's insane. It's just, that's wild. Every like, one of those guys is going to have early onset Alzheimer's. I guarantee it. Yeah. Dana like, White's like huge into that too. Because eh? it's money. Yeah. Yeah, it is big like, money. From, say what you want about Dana White. The guy has an ability to print money like nobody I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's... He made the UFC, right? Like, he is the reason. Yeah, it's it super impressive. There. But it just goes back to the same thing. Like, UFC, the one advantage that mixed martial arts seems to have in competition, and I, I say that specifically because I know and work with enough fighters to see what happens in training. Mm-hmm. If you have a good coach, so shout out to the guys that, that I've worked with here at you know WKX and TriStar and a few of the other places, yep. their coaches really do give a shit. 
when people go down or when they take a hard hit, like you don't keep training that day. Yeah. You're done now. Okay. You, you know, you got, you got tagged, you went out, you're off the map. Yeah. I know. You know tra- you got, like, yeah. You got wobbled. You're off the map. You're not, you're mm-hmm. not sparring anymore. You're done for the day. At least the day. That's maybe not enough, but man, it's a start. But like you, you know, I remember ramming my head in rugby or football. Mm-hmm. I got ear hold and. Oh yeah. You, know, you just. They call you them stingers, keep right? Yeah. You got a stinger. Oh, everything yeah, goes numb. Method. You wake up on the ground and then like, oh. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah. Man, like TBI stuff, you can't mess around with that. And post-concussion syndrome can last for months. You know, I have mm-hmm. one of my fighters who's a, a staff member of mine. He took a a hard hit, you know, a knee. He kind of, he was out, not, you know, totally out, but enough that he fell down and, yeah. you know, had to get helped back up again. He had post-concussion syndrome for, I think he's still dealing with some of that. And that was probably eight months ago, nine months ago. One yeah. one good hard hit. Yeah. Right? And that's all it takes, you know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I um, yeah. Don't mess around with that stuff. I, I, Brain injuries are no joke. Yeah. What about with the other like, so like, I wasn't allowed to play in my final football game because the game prior to that, I started getting rabbit foot. I found out I had this gnarly tendonitis in my shin, okay. and like. My feet just wouldn't work anymore. I was trying to get up and run, and it was like a deer had been shot in the back. It just can't get move up and feet. move. And like, my coach wouldn't let me play in my last game because he said it just I wasn't man enough to deal with the injury that I had. And I was like, I haven't like I literally put myself to the point where my legs weren't working anymore. Uh, was the coach doing it to protect you because he was worried you were getting hurt, or was he doing it because he didn't think you had it in you to keep playing? My doctor gave me the clear to play that game. Yeah. You know? See, I mean. You know, I've said this before, you know, certain coaches in particular take their own frustrations out on their players. Yeah. Like you don't have, you don't have an injury problem. You don't have a training problem. You have an asshole problem. Yeah. I think, you know, there's always going to be those guys that are kind of dinosaurs in the industry that still believe that stuff, right? Puke buckets and weight rooms and crap like that. Yeah. Like we're not training for the Navy SEALs. We're just. Yeah. Like it's high school football, man. Yeah. 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 Fuck off. Exactly. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think that that's a big part of it, right? Like mm-hmm. even amateur MMA, um, because I deal with a lot of those guys, there's, you know, I have guys that cut a fairly significant amount of weight, but we've gotten it down to the point now where we're pretty safe about it. And we, you know, we make game time decisions as to whether or not we're going to continue or, you know, any of those kind of things. And, you know, my process is fairly well dialed. That these guys don't have problems anymore. You know, before I started helping out, lots of them had been to the hospital with seizures and cramping and mm-hmm. dehyd- massive dehydration problems. So that we don't have that any that that problem anymore. Brutal, man. Like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's scary stuff. It, it can be. But, you know, my point is that when you're an amateur athlete, why are you putting yourself through that process? The sport's already hard enough. Mm-hmm. You're getting punched in the face with a four, like a, a five-ounce glove. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fun. Getting hit I mean, it is, is for those fun. guys, but yeah. that's not fun. Yeah. You know, and and cutting that much weight is already a nightmare process. Like, you know, it is kind of a rite of passage. You know, you, you want your opponent to go through the same thing as you. But the reality is they put so much pressure on them to make sure that they do make weight. And as an amateur, why? It doesn't matter for anything. You're just there to get fight experience. Like, yeah. oh, you missed weight by two pounds. Well, I can tell you right now, two pounds is not catastrophic when it comes to how well they're going to perform in the ring. And if they're dehydrated, it's going to be even worse. So, I don't know, <laughs> let them fight. Don't have people cut 40 pounds. But, yeah. you know, they, you just get these guys that, that want to do too much when they're too young. And so, you know, we try to minimize some of the potential damage. How long do they usually have to cut? 
as far as like the window goes? Like, what's the longest to shortest times that you've seen? Well, uh, well, most of these guys know that they're fighting for about eight weeks. Like the average fight camp is between seven to eleven weeks long. Mm. Uh, the longer you have, the better because you can slowly whittle them down. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a bit of a prep work to how fast can you do it? It largely depends on how much work you do prior. So if you're smart and you're lucky, you can build these guys up to the point where they're consuming massive amounts of food, you know, 3,500, 4,000 calories a day in camp. And then all of a sudden when you drop them to 3,500 calories, they start losing weight, which is twice as much food as they were eating before. Mm -hmm. So you can get them to be pretty lean. We've done that with a few guys now where they walk probably, I'm going to say about 20 pounds over fight weight a week out. And then in, in the span of about six or seven days, we usually get them down about 18 pounds. The most I've seen is 22. Holy shit. Um, and I have, I have two guys that hold water like a sponge. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So one yeah. of them fights at 135 pounds and 24 hours out, I think he was 153. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I think it, it, it's that's not yeah. that's outside what's normally considered safe. Yeah, absolutely. just for for the record, like that's not a good idea. No, um, but I we know him and we know his body, and yeah. he can do it with absolutely no problem. Like he doesn't feel tired. He doesn't have heart rate issues. His blood pressure is normal. He just carries water like a sponge. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But most most guys, we we try to keep them at about eight percent eight percent of their body weight. We try to cut within twenty four hours. So if you fight at 155 pounds, you can cut, you know, 13 pounds, something like that. I could, I could see that. I mean, like, a water weight is a thing, right? It's, that's, that's You can do more. I'm not saying you ought yeah, to. You, yeah, you probably shouldn't. But, you know, it, you can. Um, but you get guys cutting 30 pounds as amateurs. Yeah, right? and that's, that's, like, you're not, you're, there's no money on the line. You're not, it's not Why? your lifestyle. It's Why? Not, that's yeah. dumb. Yeah. That's really dumb. You're, you're doing potentially irreparable harm to your, to your body and like, for what? For an amateur fight. Some people like to say, like, just play devil's advocate like i did it so that i knew i could okay sure uh, there's still some benefit to knowing how hard you can push yourself i'm not yeah i'm not saying that you shouldn't Fine. do hard things yeah yeah but but try to do hard things that aren't necessarily like starving put, yeah putting, putting your health at risk <laughs> yeah yeah like like go do hard hikes go you know that kind of stuff don't don't dehydrate yourself to the point where you need to be hospitalized. With and then an go get the shit beat out of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and at least those guys, if they go to the hospital, at least they don't let them fight generally. But, <laughs> but you know, sometimes they do. Yeah. Fuck, I think I might be one of those guys who, like, holds the water a lot. Like, um, when I first uh, met you at the at TriStar there, yeah. um, I was on the start of, like, a weight loss journey thing because I'd, I'd weighed myself over the holidays before that I was 196 pounds sure. and like at five foot fuck all that's that's a lot of weight right <laughs> so you know I was like it's a little I, thick. yeah I can't be turning 30 on the wrong side of 200 I, I want to like you know heart disease and diabetes are yep. fairly common things in English and German families you know uh, yeah so, you're not wrong yeah I was, I was like I gotta get off this and like I think I was in it for about three weeks when I saw you and I was already down 12 pounds yeah. and then uh, I got myself down to 165 by Good for you. April, I think. Maybe oh, wow. than 30 that pounds great. Yeah, yeah. But the first 15 were gone in like two weeks. It, it's if you can get somebody to commit to starting a program. Yeah. If you do it right, usually it's fairly easy to stay motivated because stuff starts to move pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of things that happen fairly fast. Now, if you're really unlucky, that's not true. Um, but if you could show a graph, man, weight loss is not linear. <laughs> I think the hardest part about it is people go, well, I lost 15 pounds and I gained seven. 
Yeah, it, it can happen that way too. You just yeah. have to stick to the process. Your body's doing all sorts of shit while you're trying to lose weight. Yeah. So you, you can't be married to that linear process. That's what the uh, the habit that I developed when I was a teenager. I would step on the scale every single morning. And if I didn't see weight loss every day, I'd reduce my food again. Oh, dude, that's brutal. Yeah, we don't, we don't, even have, we don't have a scale I anywhere. Lost, I lost like 130 pounds in six months. Yeah, don't do that either. No. That's really fucking stupid. Yeah, it sounds like a tough time. Did you have a lot of excess skin and stuff going on? I, yeah, I still do. I, you yeah. know, I I should have had stock and hydroxy cut. <laughs> stock and hydroxy cut. Yeah, oh, like like the fat burner brands. Yeah, no fat burner brands. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I should have because I went through them. I went through like a bottle of fat burners a week. Holy. Like I, I think at this point in time I'm immune to caffeine and ephedrine. <laughs> <laughs> like I could probably do it right now and have a nap. It wouldn't wouldn't affect me. Yeah, it was scary, man. Like I, I don't know what I did to my heart. So Red Bull's just like water to you. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, coffee wow. before bed, no problem. Holy shit. Yeah, Crazy. <laughs> I'm sure Andrew Huberman probably has an answer for how oh, fucked yeah. up my adrenals are, but <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, it, it it it's scary, man. You can do really really dumb things when you're motivated the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, fuck, that's kind of. The basis of eating disorders as they are, right? Like, yeah. and, and not just like eating. And you're never like, happy. Yeah, no, you're, never, and that's you're a, never happy when you're hungry all the time. You just you don't you don't get that boost in your head no. that you get from like being properly fed. <laughs> Man, I had I had ADD undiagnosed, and I was underfed. How well do you think I did in my last couple of years of high school? <laughs> oh fuck yeah, <laughs> my my yeah. grades were not stellar. Like, thank God for final exams because I was able to write and do really really well when they had them. Did you guys have that? Maybe you're a little too young. Do they uh, still have the like, departmentals, like pro- province-wide exams? Yeah. Well, when I was in high school, they did. Yeah. I don't know if they still have. Apparently, it, it's like um, it's not really a thing anymore. Well, because they like I don't know what took them so long to realize that like not everybody processes information the same way, and you shouldn't judge someone. Totally true, but thank God they did when I was going through school because those are the only things that brought my marks up enough to get to university. Oh, you know, <laughs> come to think of it, that same here, man. Like I, I got they saved like, my bacon so badly. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Actually, I I remember the only reason I graduated was I did a, I did my lifeguarding program. Yeah, that got I got me, like, credit for it. Yeah. yeah, and then they they gave me uh, I they said I needed my grade twelve English, and I was yeah. like, cool. And I took one block in my second semester to study for that, and then like do the and exam in April. The rest of my blocks, all other seven, was human performance, weightlifting. Nice. Crotler, it was called super fit. Which was like essentially CrossFit slash triathlon training thing. You did this in high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so your high school kicked ass. It was, yeah, it was. We had a, it's a small. It was a small school, but we had pretty, you know, decent enough facilities. Yeah, um, yeah it was like big weight room in the mezzanine and all that stuff. So I'd be doing weightlifting and triathlon training, and then I was a teacher's assistant in another gym class, and then I had guitar, and that was like <laughs> guitar is a class. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and then the next semester, same three things, but with an English thing going instead and i graduated early with extra credits well that's not bad either yeah and i I aced the english exam and because i challenged it with no prior thing it averaged out to 84 percent. so it was two percent away from an eight the highest grade i'd ever gotten in an (laughs) academic course and i only had to take one test it was like i didn't start doing that one until i got to university and found stuff i liked uh, high school was tough I i didn't like high school i i i wanted to go to university i never really got around to it um more or less just like I, I'm from a blue collar family right I wanted to be a biologist when I was younger I nice to be like marine biologist obsessed still I am too, with actually. like ocean life and sharks and all that stuff right wanted to go into like a specialty of non-vertebrates and octopi and stuff like that but Sweet. or cephalopods and every time the mom would be like 
you're not going to make any money doing that. Like, we're not putting your college fund where it's something where you're not going to make money back off. And I was like, well, then what do you want me to do? And first thing she'd tell me is to go get a class one trucker license. And I was like, yeah, I mean. You're not I, wrong. Yeah, I could. you're not wrong. But we're talking about, like, nutrition and eating disorders and stuff right now. You want to, like, fucking fast lane to that kind of world. <laughs> oh, man. Just hop behind a Peterbilt and drive across the country. You're going to see beautiful things, but you're going to eat so, so many different cheeseburgers that yep. are all the same McDonald's cheeseburger. <laughs> you know? You'll you'll look like a cheeseburger. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I, I got lucky to get out of that. But I never ended up going to university, hmm. which kind of... Kind of sucked. So she was worried about money, and then you got into film. That was a good idea. Yeah, well, actually, I, <laughs> funny enough, I, yeah, I, I had 22 different jobs before I got into film. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I think I, that's the prerequisite. Like, that's what they look right? for in your resume yeah. before film. Like, have you done everything else? Yeah. Great. Now you're ready for film. Where else have you found yourself fitting in? Nowhere. Nowhere. We've film. got you. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. Yeah, the land of misfits, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I did, like, trades and moving work and stuff like that, and, like, sales all kinds of stuff back then but like um even when i was a carpenter it was like i just just couldn't yeah couldn't get it you know it just wasn't happy and then i was like man i miss university i could have been on like a university wrestling team or something like that but honestly like i'm also crazy afraid of debt so that might <laughs> that's probably good yeah yeah it's probably good it's probably a helpful thing as far as that goes i would imagine yeah yeah, yeah. Um, how many of these uh clients of yours have you seen come in with these eating issues and like you've seen them kind of progress to like a healthier standard with it like my fighters are are largely successful mm. um i probably only have one or two that i continue to struggle with um they just have these deep seated doubts about food mm. you know they just don't understand they, you know to the best of my abilities they still just don't understand how to eat um you know it, it's interesting i guess People have these wild misconceptions about how much food they're actually taking in mm-hmm. on, the, on the plus side of things and on the negative. People that have a tendency to be overweight generally don't understand how much food they're actually taking in, right? Like serving sizes are, are totally disproportionate to what they think that they are. Yeah, the IHOP size. Yeah, yeah. right, right, exactly, right? Like one, om- one serving of pasta is like three forkfuls, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not It's not a bowl. Here's an omelet the size of a sockeye salmon with five <laughs> pancakes stacked. Stacked on top of it, yeah. It, yeah. It's like a, it's a 1,500-calorie meal. Well, yeah. it said it's only 700. Mm. Yeah. This would feed a family in right. any other country, right. but I'm Except supposed to here. eat this to myself? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So... So, but then fighters have, fighters and wrestlers, anybody that's in sports where, you know, you have a weight class issue or, you know, interestingly enough, because I dealt with volleyball players for so long, particularly female volleyball players, like the uniform is spandex shorts. Yeah. And you don't think, regardless of how physically impressive these girls are, because trust me, they're absolute Super athletes. Yeah, yeah, they're incredible. Volleyball is hardcore. Like, I, I people don't understand. Never played it a day in my life, and I love the sport. My dad was these a, girls are just they're kick ass. My dad was Junior Olympics can't team Canada for men's volleyball back in like the seventies. I guess really. Yeah, yeah. And you came up five feet. Yeah, he is five feet. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah, he was. A, oh, he better. was the barrow. Yeah. He's, oh. Yeah, yeah. See, that's such a that's a great position too. They're so mobile. Yeah. So fast. I have two of the the. Uh, athletes that I still work with were liberos. Yeah. Um, and now playing professional beach. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Man, that's tough. Fucking beach oh, volleyball. Oh, beach volleyball's gnarly, that too. That sand, it just, like, it, it, it takes away so much. It does. Like, it's result. a whole It's a whole different sport. It's, yeah. It's way, it, yeah, it's really fun. Really yeah. fun to work with them, too. They're, they're great athletes. So, yeah. but again, volleyball players. So part of the, as impressive as they are, mm-hmm. they still have this physical component because they have to look 
somewhat okay, you'd hope. Yeah. In in spandex shorts, you know, that's what they think. You know, they they don't. It, do it gets in the way. Like, why don't they just give them basketball shorts? I don't instead? know. That's that's not my decision to make. Yeah. I have no idea what color. Now, I mean, I have spoken to some of them. They do like playing in the spandex because it doesn't bunch up and it doesn't move all over the place. And okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. However, you are on a certain amount of display, so there's got to be some level of self criticism there, for lack of a way to put it. Like, it's got to make you worried. Yeah. I mean, you and I are both probably fully aware of that having to wear a singlet in front of hundreds yeah. of people I mean I, I was in a nice cold gym <laughs> I was I mean I was lucky enough that I, I I didn't make it so I wrestled but I didn't wrestle well enough to have to get to the singlet point I still was able oh. to wrestle in shorts and, and shirtless oh man I was yeah I was singlet from like grade 8 on and it was the most difficult thing to deal with as far oh, as I have, I, I have a great story for you if nobody else is like it's it's a little inappropriate but it's pretty entertaining uh, it's fine yeah we, we, I, uh, I remember distinctly sitting in the weight room at university when I was the strength coach and I had the wrestling regional streaming because we had a bunch of guys competing. Cool. And so I had it on my laptop while we were running one of our sessions. And so it was a fairly small session. I think it was towards the end of the year, kind of exam time. So, you know, our, our teams were that weren't in season were kind of chopped up. They weren't full sessions. So one of the volleyball groups that I was working with, I think probably only had six or seven athletes in. So it was a pretty it was a pretty quiet session. You know, it wasn't exactly a balls to the wall kind of kick the crap out of them. So in between sets of doing things, we'd come over because two of the girls ended up having boyfriends that were wrestlers. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever seen wrestling live streamed at a university level, but the camera is on the judging table, right? It's on the scorekeeper's table. Okay. So no, it's, okay. it's about waist height. <laughs> so if you can see where this is going, there was a call that was made and the wrestler walked over and stood right in front of the judging table. Oh. <laughs> and, and so the comment that was made was, see, this is why you date wrestlers. You know exactly what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Just here's a nice spandex-covered yeah, hog. Just exactly. You, you, yeah. have, you, you absolutely have nothing to hide. Yeah. Well, it used to be done naked, right, back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, get off of the tangent here. You're saying the volleyball players. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, yeah. I mean, I've dealt with eating disorders on both sides of things, right, both from yeah. a performance standpoint and from, a, a you know, a, a, an aesthetic side of things where they get worried about, man, I just don't I don't want to look this way and I don't feel like I, I, I don't look good in these things. And so, you know, then you have people that, then they then develop disordered you know disordered eating and they don't eat well and then they don't perform well and mm-hmm. then they don't perform well in school and it's this terrible terrible downhill slope that you know wrecks huge amounts of their lives and and in a large part of it I mean I've I've known great volleyball players that didn't really recover I've known great wrestlers that didn't really recover yeah you know that had to go into other things you know luckily they some of them were able to get some help uh, one one wrestler of mine that I hold very near and dear, ended up working with another nutritionist. and But she was consuming something like 800 calories a day for weeks on end. Like toddlers need more than that. Whoa. And you're talking about an, like NCAA level, like national caliber wrestler. Wild. Yeah. NCAA. Yeah, and that's how afraid of food they are. That's a shame. Because they're so worried about weight classes or how they look that they don't, yeah. they don't take into account the performance aspect and don't understand that you don't need to starve yourself to... To still maintain the same weight, you just have to understand what the balance is. But there's no education for it, right? You're reading stuff online, or you're just yeah. trying things, right? You and you get scared. You don't understand body fluctuation and physiology, so yeah, I mean, it's like, nerve wracking. And it, it's and it's also like it's hard to figure out on your own too, like what how your body reacts to certain routines and, and foods, you know. Um, with the topic of nutrition and stuff, I was actually interested in this particularly because I've been. I've been trying to 
put on a little more size myself. Sure. Uh, I got like a creatine going on. I'm I'm doing roughly 80 grams of protein a day, give okay. or take. Um, I'm not sure what my calorie count is. I don't really do the counting calories thing anyhow. Um, but like if you were like, how big of a role does carbohydrates play in that? Because obviously you need some carbs, right? And like, um, if you're trying to cut, are you also supposed to remove the calories? So like, I guess it's like kind of a multifaceted question, but what would you tell someone who's trying to get bigger and also gain more muscle mass out of that? Like, like, I guess, the old the old school kind of bodybuilder methodology was dirty bulking right you just eat like a demon and pour as much calories into you as possible while you're training i'm not i don't love that approach primarily because body you know we talked earlier about inflammatory you know bowel disease but inflammation in general the thing that causes more of that than anything else is being over fat Mm -hmm. um and having been there i can tell you absolutely that when you're overweight you are way unhealthier yeah end of story you just have more health problems that are likely to pop up so when you're looking at gaining weight the the whole world revolves around the physics of thermodynamics you can't escape the basic laws of you have to consume more than you're burning in order to gain weight yeah and if you're going the opposite way you have to burn more than you're consuming end of story a lot of things play into that okay gut health hormones, all these other things that, you know, become hot topics on social media, mm-hmm. but you can't escape the basics. Yeah. So usually when you look at the math, you kind of take your baseline calories that you're consuming right now or that your body needs rather. And then you can take what you're consuming. And as long as those are pretty much bang on even, then you increase by about 250 to 500 calories a day. That's it. That's all that's really required to build muscle. Okay. You don't need to be a thousand calories in a surplus to build muscle mass <laughs> unless you're doing more, right? Yeah. So it it comes down to you need to be consuming more than your base rate and your exercise. Mm-hmm. So if you've decided, okay, I'm going to put on muscle mass, but you're also a compulsive runner, <laughs> yeah. like, okay, that's going to be a little bit more challenging because you're doing something that's going to make it hard to gain muscle mass and you're burning a lot of extra calories. So, so maybe you need to be consuming 3,500 calories, not 3,000 or 2,500. Yeah. The running part actually... Got me there. So, like, when you go to the gym, right, obviously you need to warm up somehow, right? Yep. So, you do, like, 10. I usually do 10 to 50 on the treadmill or sure. elliptical, right? Um, Whereabouts do you want to cut that off if you're trying to stop the negative effects of, like, weight loss happening, like, getting in the way of you? I think that's largely inconsequential. Like, how many calories are you burning in 10 to 15 minutes of running? Probably Have you measured much. it? Not, yeah, it's not no, I think. I think I used I used to do twenty to twenty five, and I was burning something like two hundred and fifty to three hundred calories. Yeah, on the treadmill though, yeah. not but based on the numbers that the treadmill's spitting out, not yeah. based on what you've seen. Yeah, exactly. Like to yeah. give you an idea, if you do a minute of burpees, which yeah. is hell on earth, oh, God. it's like fifteen calories. Yeah, and that that that's not much for the amount. It's you not put much in. for the yeah. amount you put again, right? So your your body does a better job of burning calories just being yourself yeah. than you do with exercise. You got to be pushing pretty hard. Like I said, an hour of jujitsu burns. Pick a number, 500, 700 calories. Yeah. So, you know, your 15 minutes on the treadmill might be burning 100 calories. How many, like, do you work with any bodybuilders as well? Or I have. Yeah. I have in the past. I don't anymore. I have colleagues that do. Um, but if you're, again, if we kind of continue on that vein of your question, the cardio that you're doing to warm up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even worry about that. It's extra calories. Like, yeah. it, does it matter? Yes, because you're going to burn 50 to 100 more calories. You need to eat more food. Is that going to prevent you from getting weight? probably not. That's kind of in that gray zone of yeah. of excess. And it doesn't necessarily stop your muscles from growing. No, that, that's that been largely disproven. You can. Yeah. There's a small interference effect that happens from a, 
a performance standpoint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to be a little bit careful if you're dealing with athletes, you know, when you do long, slow duration cardio and when you're doing strength strength training, particularly power training, they can interfere with each other. Yeah. Um, so you have to separate them or, or design them in such a way that you don't get that interference effect. For most bodybuilding, that's not really an issue. Again, the cardio that most bodybuilders do isn't going to impact their growth. Uh, in fact, there's some research now that's showing that, you know, the more aerobically capable you are, so the better your heart health is, mm -hmm. the more you can grow because you can recover faster. You have better yeah. blood flow to the muscles. You feed them with more nutrients when they're, you know, when you're actually working. It's beneficial to have positive cardiovascular adaptations while you're trying to gain muscle mass. For you, okay. yeah. the only thing that I would say is you probably need more protein. Yeah. Um, as a general rule, most people don't consume a whole lot. Yeah, um, I heard it was supposed to be like a gram to every kilogram you weigh or something. Like yeah, so that's kind of where it starts. At the bottom end, you want roughly one gram per kilo. When you get into the weight loss side of things, we typically go more around that two grams per kilo or one gram per pound. Okay. Is, is a pretty easy place yeah. to be. Even for bodybuilders, realistically, I'm still a bigger fan of higher protein. Yeah. Um, I, just because I think it, it's it's generally a little bit more beneficial, but it it makes it makes things a little bit easier. The caveat to that is carbohydrate is largely protein sparing. So to put that more simply, if you're going to consume on the lower end of the protein spectrum to gain weight, mm -hmm. you probably just need to eat more carbs. Okay. So that your body doesn't need the protein for anything other than muscle repair. Other than muscle repair, yeah. Okay. There's still going to be some that bleeds off and does other things because protein's fairly useful, obviously. But yeah, uh, yeah. If you consume more carbohydrate, it'll do more things, and you won't need quite as much yeah. protein. But you know, still, why do yourself the disservice? You know, get more protein into you. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. Like the when I started that whole weight loss thing earlier this year, it was the first time I paid attention to my nutrition since mm -hmm. I was like, you know, um. In high school, probably. Like, my yeah. 20s were just a fucking write-off. Right? <laughs> just, like, coming home, six-pack of beer. Yeah, whatever. whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, but once I started, like, I got myself a good uh, protein isolate, yada, yada, started eating, like, just meat and veg, and my carbs would be, like, one meal throughout that day would be, yeah. like, a carb-heavy meal, right? But the amount of, like, noticeable change I had in my day-to-day -day mood, energy, and just basically every facet of my life was, like substantially increased from like just I'm assuming it was because I was eating so much protein just like just, just getting health getting healthy in general yeah right? well it's yeah I was better. more I was definitely keeping more track of like my veggies and stuff but at that point right but yeah. it was <laughs> you know there's this kind of recent trend where you know vegetables are vilified right like cause they cause gut problems or they're trying to kill you or liver king says that you don't need them if as long as you eat raw liver uh <laughs> <laughs> and take, you know, $30,000 worth of steroids, steroids every month. Yeah. yeah. Like, the fact that people didn't see that one coming. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? You think he's natural? Shut you can read it in the veins on his bicep. Yeah, exactly. Like it says Trenbolone yeah. across his chest. Um, <laughs> no, but, no, it's actually the raw yeah. testicles. Yeah, that's that's it. That's where he gets it from, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Unfortunately, people are just so willing to believe that, you know, you can do things more easily. If vegetables are going to be the thing that, is actually going to kill you. I mean, if they're really that evil, they're doing a damn terrible job of it. Like yep. every single study that I've ever seen, and I think there was a big one that was just released, like longevity increases proportionately to vegetable intake. Yeah. yeah. Like all, all the other things, you oh, well, it causes these things and there's lignans and, you know, all these little 
Policies Maybe some of them that, don't agree with you, yeah, but like, it's, but in the long, like in the long term, the yeah. more vegetables you eat, the healthier you are. Yeah. Pretty much in a linear fashion. Like, I'm not sure it cuts off very, very far, right? Like, yeah. you, you can go a long way eating a lot of vegetables and get better. So, realistically, like a plant-based diet where you consume a lot of fruits and vegetables is probably your best bet. Mm-hmm. I think when you add good quality protein to it and then enough snack food that you enjoy to make yourself not lose your mind <laughs> is probably your best overall option and then aim for that and then if you fall somewhere close to it you're probably going to do all right wicked and so when it comes to the actual exercises you know is the whole um high reps lower weight for toning low reps higher weight for building muscle is that does that still have a lot of weight to it no, not Pardon really the pun but no, like... <laughs> no i like that that was good yeah. um no not really so the there's a couple of guys that have gone really, really in-depth with the research on hypertrophy, on building muscle. Yeah. Um, and some of the studies have been pretty amazing. So they decided, okay, well, let's look at the differences between training with relatively low reps, kind of in that classic, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 range for building mm-hmm. muscle mass. To doing 2 to 4. On yeah. A, on like or let's go to like 25, 30 and see what happens. Oh, okay. And it turns out that as long as you're getting close to failure within that rep range, whatever it happens to be. So if you're pushing a bench press and you've got eight reps on your program and you finish at eight, but you could have done 14, that's not super effective for building muscle. Mm. But same thing if you're doing a bench press and you're using a relatively lightweight and you've got 25 on your program and you did 25 and stopped, but you could have done 50, not as effective. However, if you picked a number and you went, okay, I've got 25 on my program. I got 23, and then I was worried I was going to, you know, pass out underneath the bar. Okay? That's probably effective for building muscle mass. If okay. Same thing with eight. You're like, man, I did eight, but I think I got one more in me. I went for nine and just about didn't make it. Perfect. That's probably where you're going to build muscle mass. You know, so it there's a large, complicated, science-y stuff that goes into how muscle is yeah. made. Yep. Realistically, the easiest thing to remember is if you want to build muscle, you have to get close to failure during your sets and your rep range is largely irrelevant. You're going to build more strength on the lower side of things. You do build strength on the higher side of things a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no dramatic change in like types of muscle that you build. Yeah. Like Like building muscles, building muscle. There's, there's multiple fiber types and we can get into the science behind that stuff. But if your goal is to just look better naked and perform better in general, pick some stuff that you like doing, lift some heavy stuff, you know, kind of close to failure, lift some lighter stuff, close to failure because it's safer. That's usually the only thing that I recommend. Things like squats and deadlifts probably don't take those to the point where you're like eyeball popping heavy and you can't do it without <laughs> yeah. without looking terrible. Yeah. But something like, you know, I don't know, like a tricep exercise on a cable machine, like, yeah, you can go to, you can't move anymore. Yeah. Give her. Yeah. You know, you're not going to hurt yourself. Yeah. I mean, do it all the time, tendonitis, but you're not going to do any damage. So those are the ones that you can safely push to that realm of failure. And the other ones maybe be a little bit more cautious of, but Mm -hmm. that's number one. Feed yourself well and then push hard in the gym close to failure. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, 30 sets for each muscle group every week. Yeah. Um, And I think, I I don't know the the actual research number. It came out, but I don't remember it. They they compared something like 12 working sets in a week for a muscle group and 30. And they found that both groups were as effective as long as they were taken to the same level of intensity. So you don't have to smash a muscle all the time mm-hmm. to get stuff to grow. Like a reasonable amount of stimulation is good. Yeah. And over time, the healing will just make it happen, right? Yeah, exactly. As long as you're properly supported, eat proper food. and Yeah. 
And everybody who exercises in any capacity, whether it's martial arts or weight training or running, should be on creatine. Yeah. Yeah. Creatine monohydrate? Yeah. Yeah. Don't fall into the trap of buying the other ones. They're they're not, they're no more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Creatine doesn't work that way. It's like a reservoir. So once it gets into your muscles and starts to build up, you have it. There's no magical creatine that makes it more have it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's not the way that works. Once you build up enough of it in your system and you have the excess, then you just keep that reservoir. Let's talk about that for a second. So creatine, for people who don't know, creatine monohydrate specifically is a, a, a supplement that you'll ingest and it then saturates your muscles. Is that? Yeah, more or less. Um, again, without getting super sciencey, your body produces it or your body uses it naturally. It, it occurs naturally in red meat. Mm. Um, so it's not like it's some designer compound. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, it, it, it occurs naturally. In fact, you know, part of it, creatine in general, the your body uses that as a source of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so your, like your 10 second sprint window. Static. Um, that's weird. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> cut, was cut that, that in your ears? Yeah, or? it was mine too. Oh, I got that's... a bunch of static. You guys all right over there? There's just a lot of fuzz. Ricardo? Okay. Oh, we both got it on ours. Yeah, that's strange. Okay. Uh, Anyhow. Okay. Carrying back on. to creatine. So, the, your first, like, if you're running a, a hundred meter dash, yeah, the primary energy system that you use is called your phosphocreatine system. Um, the, it goes by a couple of other names, but basically, creatine is the thing that produces power. Okay. So, when you have a little bit more of it in your system, that's why it's so useful for weight training because instead of not having enough oomph to get five or six reps, you might you might be able to get six or seven or seven mm-hmm. or eight. You know, you might be able to run just a little bit harder for one to two more seconds, things like that. So that it's super beneficial for just having a little bit more oomph, particularly on the the strength power side of things. Okay. Um yeah. but the reason I recommend it for everybody is it, it does a couple of other things as well. It helps bring water and nutrients into the cell. So it just does that because it's a fairly large molecule and your body needs it. So it grabs it and pulls it in and it pulls it in with water and then a bunch of other stuff that goes along with water. And that helps your muscles yeah, to grow. Yeah, for sure. Faster, that's that's right? why people get heavier when they start taking creatine. It's not because you, you know, gained a bunch of water and it and you suddenly look like puffy or anything. It's actually the opposite. Your body pulls water with the creatine into the cell. So it's away from the skin. It's actually a good thing. And it pulls but you it will, away from the fat. and into Yeah, the yeah. And pulls okay. it into the muscles. That's a good thing. The other side of that is there's a huge amount of research for creatine and brain health. Mm. So if you're dealing with any sort of TBI, brain injury, concussion, memory issues. Yeah, I read it was also good for like dementia symptoms. Yeah, creatine can help. Creatine can help. And you don't, again, take it at the normal dose, 2.5 to 5 grams a day. Mm. You know, you don't need to load it. You can if you want to fill that reservoir more quickly, but I don't tell my athletes to do that. Just 5 grams a day from now till forever. Cool. Cycle it off if you're cutting weight. Yeah. That's all we do if they need to make a weight. But everybody else, if you're an athlete... At all. Recreational, creatine. professional, doesn't matter. You should be on creatine. Everybody should take it. It's one of the most, if not the most heavily researched supplement next to caffeine. Like, it's really? safe. Yeah, it doesn't affect the kidneys. That's all baloney. Unless you have a pre-existing kidney condition, in yeah. which case, talk to your doctor. But 99% of other people should be on creatine. Even if you're not necessarily an athlete. Like it's yeah, just if you're if you're just doing have. recreational stuff, it's just good to have. Yeah, cool. for sure. How, how much, like, have you noticed when you've put... Like your clients, when they come in, they haven't been on creatine, then you put them on it. And have you noticed like a substantial change in the rate of growth they have and whatever they're trying to accomplish? Not in the way that you're thinking because I don't deal with bodybuilders. So we don't track Mm. muscle growth quite the same way. But for athletic performance. Yeah. Like they notice a difference. I think that's largely placebo, Mm -hmm. um, which is a thing. Like if you take creatine and you feel like you're stronger, longer, then are you stronger, longer? Yes. So- 
placebo's you know placebo's yeah. great like it it people think that's a negative effect like oh it's just placebo it's transient no 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 placebo means that something actually happened yeah you've initiated some sort of change yeah. in your body so if i tell you that creatine's going to make you stronger and faster and suddenly you're stronger and faster yeah. and we didn't give you creatine you're still stronger and faster yeah that's awesome yeah yeah exactly that, <laughs> right? that makes that's that's like i i never understood why People would say like the placebo effect in a in a sense that it has in a negative like a way negative no. connotation. Yeah, like when it's... you do drug trials and they go, oh, the placebo effect was just as effective. That's awesome. Yeah, that means telling somebody that they were going to get better made them better. Yeah, and the end result was they were better. Wasn't that the point? Mm. Like placebo effect is great. Well, it it really is just like a, a tiny little like sight into the kinds of control people from around the world can have over their minds and yeah. what effect the mind has on the body. Like you look at the those like the Shaolin monks and people over in China and some of those Buddhist temples and stuff, they'll put themselves through just like rigorous amounts of things like like very painful too. Mm-hmm. Like people will be like hanging in like a full reverse like uh an oversplits by their ankles off right. of a post and they're just like there for hours. And it's just but it's all mind over matter, yeah. right? And that's what the placebo effect seems to be essentially is like you've given yourself the belief that something is going to improve or change or yeah. be affected. Yeah. You know, as an aside, we have to be really careful when we talk to athletes and like I'm I'm actually about to do a video on this. We you have to be careful about how you speak and the words that you use when you're talking to athletes or patients when you're dealing in therapy because it's a little kind of on the woo-woo side of things, but if you tell somebody that they're hurt and they're broken and they have a problem, they start to associate with it. And so it makes the problem worse. Mm -hmm. You can make them weaker. You can make them more susceptible to injury. Talk to athletes all the time. If you believe that something's going to go wrong, Murphy's Law will tell you it's going to go wrong. It has nothing to do with whether or not you did or did not do something, but you suddenly become more aware, like, oh, you know, I'm really worried if I'm going to do this, I'm going to hurt my back. I'm really worried I'm going to hurt my back. And then all of a sudden, bang, something happens and you hurt your back. Like, see, I knew it. Well, no, it's because you didn't react the way that you always react because you were so hyper-focused on this other thing, threw you off, and now... Yeah. That's what you decided to attune to. So we can do the same thing, you know, in terms of strength work. If you tell somebody, wow, this is going to be too heavy for you, it's it's too hard. There's a very rare percentage of popu- of people that listen to that kind of stuff and go, fuck you, I'm not. Yeah. And, and it goes the opposite way. But for most people, they're influenced by the language that you use. So when you're dealing with athletes or yourself, like, talk to yourself nicely. That's really hard for a lot of us. Yeah, it, I'm it not, is. I'm not good at it, but, well, and but it, be nice to yourself yeah, because it, feels, it helps. It feels so corny when you're trying to practice self-talk because, like, you know... You just, well, I don't do it for that reason. I hate being embarrassed for myself. It's yeah. <laughs> but you should. Don't do what I tell you. Do what I tell you to do. Don't do what I do. Yeah, yeah. You should be nice to yourself. You should be very, very careful about the words that you use when you're describing your problems or whatever it happens to be because it can negatively affect it. Words become reality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep, absolutely wow. it can affect it. That's crazy. So... Like, mm, that, that's just a lot. I mean, going from there's a there's a whole conversation there that yeah <laughs> you can get into for. I want to try and metaphysics stick a little more onto like the physical side of that's things. That's probably smart bit, though, because like, um, I was hoping that out of this this conversation, I'd be able to walk away by having a more asserted um, knowledge of what I'm doing versus what I shouldn't do in like my own kind of fitness world and things like that. So I've always been kind of like scared of carbs right. in a sense. Like I, I definitely notice when I've been eating more, I do get, I put the water on really fast. Yeah. Right. But and it's water. Yeah. 
So, like, have you broken down the word carbohydrate? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, there's, yeah there's water there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's in the word. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, you, you store roughly, I think it's three grams of water per one gram of carbohydrate. So, okay. yeah. So, people that are chronically underfed with carbs suddenly gain a crap ton of weight when you feed them properly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, I gained so much weight. Yeah, it's water. It's okay. <laughs> You're allowed it means to, you're properly yeah. hydrated. Yeah. yeah, it's all right. Your tissues are happier. You're not like beef jerky anymore. It's okay. So right. what, like, you know, I, I, when I'm like, I'm just trying to build my chest out or whatever. Sure. Um, do I have to wait until I feel like my chest is at a certain size before I start cutting the carbs out again and like, like, what, you, what like that or maybe? Like what? what are you trying to do by cutting carbohydrate? What's the what's just, the effect that you're after? I just want a bigger chest and I want to look good naked again. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. So, much it. <laughs> right. So, that comes down to two things one, build muscle, two, lose body fat. Yeah. There's nothing inherently magical about carbohydrate from either standpoint. I'm a believer that carbs are better for performance. Yeah. Okay. So, if you want to build muscle, run, jump, throw things, train boxing, you should probably have carbs in your system. There's very few studies that show that fat is useful as a, as a source for. Yeah. Pro for high level athletics, and they tend to be on the like ultra endurance side of things. Like, great, you want to run 100 miles? Being fat adapted is probably great. Mm-hmm. If you want to run 100 meters, it's shit. <laughs> so don't do that, right? Like, <laughs> but my keto guy said no. No, um, you know. But when you're when you're going to lose body fat again, it comes down to that whole thermodynamics equation. So once yeah. you've built up your chest and you've increased your calories. And you put on a bunch of muscle, you gained your five pounds in the last last six or seven months, whatever it happens to be, and now you're going to show it all off. Yeah. Cutting carbs is an easy way to do it because you lose weight right away, but you don't necessarily lose body fat. Again, it just comes down to whether or not you're burning more than you're taking in. And will uh, you lose the muscle as well, though, if you start? No, like- no. So maintaining muscle is actually not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tissue, right? It stays there. Yeah. The The key component to that is is stimulus. So you can actually get people to be on really low car- calorie diets I think this is an old study so I'll get it wrong again don't quote me but I'm pretty sure they did a study where they had people consuming like 800 or 1100 calories a day which is really low like heroin chic yeah Yeah. like heroin chic right the stripper diet just cocaine (laughs) cocaine for three days um (laughs) (laughs) and a salad maybe yeah yeah exactly but uh you know they consumed very very low calories and then they had them strength train I think once or twice a week and all it took was getting enough weight into their system so they had to lift reasonably heavy mm-hmm. um, and closer to, to the failure side of things and they didn't lose hardly any muscle mass so even though you're on a fairly calorie restricted diet if you're weight training with some regularity you don't lose a lot of muscle creatine also helps with that when you're in a caloric deficit it, it stops a lot of that wasting so you you don't lose as much muscle mass you're going to lose some being in a deficit mm-hmm. there's no way around it your body will feed it will you know catabolize itself when it's necessary yeah um, that is also kind of an interesting aside. So it's a little counterintuitive when you're looking to gain weight, when you're looking to gain muscle, you need to consume enough protein to have that happen. And then you need to consume enough fuel to get everything else going. When you're looking at losing weight, you actually need to go higher in protein than you do when you're gaining weight. That seems to be the easier way to do it. So for whatever reason, your body when it's building just needs enough to kind of what's going on. But when you're losing weight, there's kind of this magic number. Then you start getting into that one gram plus per pound of body weight. Yeah. And it actually seems to be better for your weight loss and better for yeah, more preserving muscle mass. Like more fuel. Yeah. So right? the, the research is is actually really clear. And anybody that that 
kind of decides to go against it, just doesn't seem to understand how meta-analyses work. But the large, the large picture is this. When you take every diet on the planet, like everything that anybody's ever designed, mm-hmm. and you look at controlling calories, so you're in a controlled deficit, not a crash diet, but a reasonable deficit, and you give them all the same amount of protein. And usually in most of these diets, it's fairly well developed. They're in that you know 0.8 grams per kilo kind of range. Um, once those two things are controlled, calories and protein, the rest of your diet between fats and carbohydrates is largely irrelevant. It You can choose whichever one is easier for you. If you like eating carnivore-style meals and you want to eat ribeye steak and consume high-fat stuff all the time because you want to put butter in your coffee, power to you. <laughs> If yeah. you're a carb guy and you just really want to eat rice and potatoes, that works too. And I think the research has actually skewed slightly more towards higher carb, lower fat being more successful. Okay. But I'm not sure it's statistically significant. It's just that it's a little bit better. Protein and calories are the only two things that really matter. Everything else is up to you. You can divide up the rest of your calories on fat and carbohydrate as you want. If you're trying to strength train or you're trying to box or kickbox or whatever you're, you're going back into – probably err on the side of more carbs. Mm-hmm. If you don't care for potatoes, then okay, you can consume more fat. But that actually doesn't matter. So once you get into your deficit and you have enough protein so that you don't lose a lot of muscle mass, divide it up any way you want. Yeah. How do you feel about um, intermittent fasting in this whole range of things? <laughs> so it's not magical. Again, there's a lot of buzzwords that get thrown out, be, thrown around because what fasting does is it kind of gives your body a, a bit of a break and so it can recuperate and regenerate a bunch of different things. Okay. Um, actually, just... Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, I really got to use the washroom. That's fine. Sorry. I could go too. That's yeah? perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> perfect pause. Guys, we're just going to take a quick washroom break here, okay? We'll be right back. <laughs> so we were on the topic of uh, fasting just before we took right. our little washroom break there. <laughs> um, so uh, let's pick up where we left off. You were saying that... Yeah, so fasting, one of those things that has kind of all these buzzwords associated with it now because it's become really, really popular. Ketosis. And all yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. ketosis basically just means that you're burning fat as a primary fuel source. That's what that means. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a lack of carbohydrate. It's that you're, you're burning fat as a primary fuel source. Which also means that your body's kind of gone into survival mode. Right. Yeah, not necessarily. It just means that it's liberated fatty acids, and so that's what okay. you're using for energy. There's a lot of complicated stuff that goes into that that I'm not as familiar with. I have a friend of mine that's a biochem guy that would explain that better. Fasting, though, so the problem is that people call intermittent fasting like these feeding windows of you know 16 hours of not eating and eight hours of, of eating. That's time-restricted eating. That's not even technically intermittent fasting. Fasting is normally days at a time mm-hmm. between feedings. And so the research on fasting is largely based on that you know, where you take yeah. 48 hours between feedings. And so now you do get some health benefit, okay? There's some gut repair that goes on. And, you know, the big buzzword that they use all the time is autophagy, which is basically like this rejuvenation of cells, okay? So your body's starving. It does a whole bunch of things to get rid of dead weight so that it's more efficient. Well, <laughs> the unfortunate reality of that is so does calorie restriction in general. Mm-hmm. So once again, this idea of being over fat is the thing that's causing more health issues than anything else. So get your calories down, autophagy will happen. So you you rebuild all those kind of, you know, you regenerate the bad cells, get rid of them and, and build new ones. That happens independently of fasting and just being in a calorie deficit will do it. Um, so, But fasting is really good for a lot of people. So I don't 
really enjoy eating when I first wake up in the morning. I like my coffee and I have I have milk in it, but I, I don't really like consuming a lot of hard food. Yeah, me um, too. So I tend to be restricted in terms of my eating window anyways. Yeah. Um, it, it just comes down to if it's an easier thing for you to do to control your intake, then it's the right thing for you to do again down to that diet, which is the best diet, the one that you can stick to. Yeah. So if you're kind of one of those people that doesn't really like to eat until noon, so what? Yeah. Then don't eat till noon and have your first big meal at, at noon. I'm a little bit more of a believer in kind of that old adage of like eating your biggest meal earlier in the day. Like the Germans then, do. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that the old saying is like breakfast like a king and then, you know, dinner like a pauper, whatever it yeah. happens to be. Yeah. So I think there's some value there. You know, large meals before bed have been shown to kind of disrupt sleep and things like that. And I think that's one of the maybe the mistakes that people that intermittent fast can do is they save it. They'll have a little bit of a break when they first start eating and then they have this big, like one big meal later on and they do it too close to bedtime and it has, you know, rebound blood sugar issues and your sleep quality is not, not great because you're too busy digesting food. So how, how far out from your bedtime should you, um, should you be, uh, stopping eating, I guess is, is the question. So like if I, if I go like, I normally go, I'll, I won't eat from about 10 PM to about four give or take okay right and so then, your, your feeding window is really short like six hours yeah yeah and i i generally do like to kick it off i'll make like a protein shake with a bunch of berries and veggies right. in it whatever right and then like a couple hours later i'll have my dinner dinner like it's not necessarily huge because i can't really eat that much anyhow right but which it, is which is the big advantage to fasting right? yeah because you're you haven't eaten you only have so much capacity in your stomach and it's shrunk a little bit for not being full of food yeah and so you get full earlier so you eat less calories, right? It, again, it's not magical. Yeah. You're just playing with physiology. Okay, but if well. I if I want to be like in bed and, and like asleep by say, let's say midnight, right? So like where? A couple hours is usually good, right? Two hours? Yeah. Okay. A couple hours is, is usually plenty. You get most of your digestion done then. It's probably already started to pass into the into the colon. So yeah. as long as you don't feel like you're still stuffed, I think that's kind of the big one. If you eat turkey dinner and then go straight to bed, that's less awesome. Yeah, also mad acid reflux time. Yeah, yeah. right. Again, yeah. because your body's trying to pump pump acid into the stomach, and there's yeah. not there's only one small valve that stops it from going back up the chain, right? Yeah. So, yeah, if you lay down after a heavy meal, like you're putting a lot of pressure on that poor little valve to try to stop it from going back up. Yeah. Which is where a lot of people do get acid reflux from and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if there's any hard science on that. I don't know it if there is any, but... Mm-hmm. If you're not uncomfortable before you go to bed, that's probably fine. Okay. Um, I'm not sure it's magical. But again, that whole idea of like, oh, if you eat before you're going to bed, you're going to gain weight. Yeah. Why? Is the food magic at bedtime? Does it Does it make it, um, but it makes it harder for you to fall asleep, right? Is that it what you're saying? It can. Yeah. yeah, it can. Um, and then the opposite can be true too, because you've we've all experienced that, right? You have like a massive carbohydrate meal, like you, turkey dinner had yams and potatoes and then pie afterwards it, it, people blame it on the tryptophan in turkey it's like is it that or is it the thousand grams of carbohydrate you just <laughs> you get this massive insulin dump and your yeah. body gets into this happy mode like you just all your blood goes away from everything that's important goes to your stomach and so you're tired so uh, you, there's some evidence that consuming you know kind of slower digesting carbohydrate at night will help because you you have this relationship between insulin and serotonin and mm-hmm. cortisol and a bunch of other things and so you sleep a little bit better. Um, yeah, don't eat just before bed and don't eat a monster meal. But again, it's not it's not going to suddenly make you gain weight or lose weight because of a 30-minute window. Yeah. In your experience, if you had any clients or possibly in just personal experience, um, 
speaking to if they're like their digestive um process has been like less irritable since they started fasting like is there anything awesome yeah i don't i don't know again if there's any research that supports it mm-hmm. based on people that have ibs or ibd um i'd be curious to know because maybe it would help I've got a bit of a theory for it as far as it goes, just from like watching certain video, you know, everyone watches Instagram. Sure. And a lot of it's just bullshit anyhow, but um, <laughs> I've kind good. of gathered from a lot of it that like your body didn't evolve to be constantly digesting food and like it, it like to give it time to fully process whatever you'd eaten in like an adequate window then allows it to like reset and be able to process food again in a healthier way. So that like it, it lowers your risk of diabetes and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, the, uh, I don't, I don't know enough about the research on, you know, type two diabetes in general. Again, usually that comes down to insulin resistance. That, usually happens because people again are over fat. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of people that develop it because they're just chronically addicted to sugar. Um like yeah, you can. I'm sure it happens. It's just not as prevalent as people that tend to be that tend to overeat and have over fat. Yeah. Be less fat. about the sugary foods as much as it is about body, like, body fat. fat. Being, yeah, being stuff. unhealthy yeah. in general. Yeah. Um but from from that standpoint, like I'm not. I'm not saying it doesn't help. It it probably does to some degree. Uh, again, I don't. I don't know any of the research behind whether or not that stuff actually makes an impact. Yeah. Uh, you can talk about the evolution side of things and say, well, okay, so we didn't evolve to do this. We didn't evolve to do that. Yeah, that's true. But again, the thing that made humans so successful is that we're super adaptable. Yeah, and this, so yeah. and so yeah. Okay, we maybe didn't evolve to eat all the time, but we did evolve eating brain tissue so if you you know think that's super fun then you can go ahead and do that stuff right if you really like eating head cheese then that's, cute that's liver great. king right there yeah, yeah. Cute liver king it's yeah. like you don't want to get smarter eat brains yeah, yeah like you don't you don't necessarily have to follow you know the ancestral lifestyle idea just because that's what our ancestors did they mm-hmm. did it because they had to not because it was necessarily optimal and i think yeah. that's that's one of the things that people seem to misunderstand is the human body can be really well adapted to do a lot of different things. It can it can survive in really extreme scenarios where mm-hmm. you're not eating all the time. It has a mechanism to make that viable. But why? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. okay, so okay, so I can survive eating once eating once every two days if I consume enough calories. But why? Like yeah. that's miserable. I don't want to go through, you know, the keto fog if anybody's ever had that before. If you cut out carbohydrate, you get dumb for a few days. Yeah, it's right? almost tired of, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So when it's your terrible. body starts starts going into that that mode where it's processing fat primarily. So uh, you know, you can, sure. If you like it, again, by all means, I, I think that's more beneficial than anything. If you do intermittent fasting, your guts feel better, your brain feels better, you enjoy food more because you can control what you're eating. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure it's magic. Again, yeah. like I don't think there's something about it that that suddenly changes everything about your physiology. But you know, we didn't evolve to need flush toilets either. I'm not going to stop using one. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, right? Like, it's a good point. You, you don't need to brush your teeth, but probably, probably a good yeah. idea. Yeah, 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 yeah we, we yeah. know that flossing reduces you know cardiovascular risk, so yep. that's probably a good idea too. Right? Yeah, plaque from your teeth goes to plaque in your heart. Yeah, right? it's like okay, so maybe take a few things. Like, yes, you don't need it, but. You know why not? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> make make your life easier. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That makes that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think, um, like, the results of fasting or any dietary habits or changes, for that matter? Um, I'm under the impression that our genetics probably play a pretty big part in what works 
best for us, right? Like, so, yeah, and personal preference for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I guess when it comes to like, say, someone wants like is doing great on a carnivore diet or whatever, right? Do you think it's because of the fact that they're eating just meats, or do you think it's more the fact that they come from a lineage where, say, they live, their their ancestry is in like a very cold place? Where like they don't have vegetables as much, right? Uh, you know, so again, I don't know any research. Well, there probably is some. This is all. This yeah, is all. Just so you guys all know, this is this all is anecdotal, anecdotal theoretical stuff. Yeah. However, yeah. however, I have noticed a fairly large uh, trend when it comes to different kind of racial populations. Mm -hmm. So I have a fairly large number of athletes that are of Asian descent, mm -hmm. and they're their tolerance for carbohydrate is really high. Rice in particular, right? They can just handle it like nobody's business. Oh, Again, yeah. Because they've been eating it for mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years. They invented the fucking them. noodle. Like, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also have a couple of Middle Eastern guys that I work with. Mm -hmm. And the prevalence of wheat intolerance is almost non-existent. Really? Be no, because they, they that's where it originated, right? Like it was the breadbasket of the world for the longest time. So they can handle yeah. they can handle most grain-based products way more than other people can. If you're Nordic descent, nothing grew up there, right? Like your yeah. root vegetables and meat primarily, right, with some seasonal fruits, but the not many. The meat and potatoes diet. The meat and potatoes diet, yeah, because nothing yeah. grows when it gets yeah. that cold. So I think there's probably some... There's probably some reality there yeah. that that it, it it could influence your tolerance to certain foods. Um, always, the best answer is experiment. Try it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if I if I realize that I'm largely you know Russian, then I can just drink <laughs> drink my potatoes, and maybe that'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> works. <laughs> but but try it because again, I think it just comes down to what works best for you. So if you play around with it and you go, actually, you know, I can tolerate this really, really well, then great. You know, if I can't tolerate these other things, then also not so good, right? There's there's mm -hmm. genetic populations on the planet that don't have enzymes to break down alcohol as well. Yes. Yeah, right? This is true. That, that's genetic. Mm -hmm. That's not because, you know, they're they're broken or anything. They Their cultures didn't develop alcohol. Mm -hmm. They never developed an adaptation to alcohol. And so they still don't have yeah, their body doesn't have the enzyme required to. It doesn't break it down as fast, so yeah. they get drunk faster. They don't process it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. all those things. So yes, it's totally viable. There's I'd a be... friend of mine I knew when I was backpacking through New Zealand, and she uh, she's Vietnamese, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, we used to go out for drinks, and she'd be like two drinks in, beat red. She'd yeah. call it the Asian blush. Yeah, for and sure. I guess that's a like thing. a thing. Then like it is a result of just. Them not having alcohol in the diet for mm -hmm. as long, I guess. Yeah. Which is strange because I always thought like, you know, like um, rice wine and things like that were go back pretty far. But I guess they weren't actually fermenting rice to drink it. No. Until like the uh, Anglo started coming. Yeah. I, I think trading. I think grain grain was probably before grape. Mm. Um, as far as I'm aware, again, yeah. I'm probably wrong, but I, I'm, as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure they were like bread-based products that ended up getting wet and fermenting. Yeah. And then they would drink the resultant from that. So like super raw alcohol. Well, so that's like how that. we got beer. Like, was yeah, a, it, was, it was like an accident, right? Yeah, like a bunch ever, of stuff got wet. Did you ever see that documentary? This documentary is <laughs> called How Beer Changed the World. And it, I guess the first known remnants of what could have had beer in it were these wheat baskets mm -hmm. that were... Um, they held wheat for um, the people, the labor force sure. for the Great Pyramids. And it got rained on, 
sat in this bin. Right. Uh, fermented. Went, fermented. Right. And next thing you know, they had like what is essentially, you know, I guess organic beer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, they'd feed it to those people because they didn't care. Like, well, here's yeah. your water for the day. Yeah. Like, Tastes like the wheat. Wow, who cares? Yeah. And next thing you know, they're like, I can build this whole pyramid because I'm drunk as fuck. Let's do this. <laughs> right. yeah. Maybe that's why it's sloped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just got that much better at math. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like, keep all the angles perfect. It's like when you shoot pool. Like I'm way better when I'm hammered. Oh yeah, you're not, but you really yeah. think you are. I try to golf sober, but I, I and I hate admitting it. But after I've had a beer or two, yeah, it loosens you up a little bit. I'm right? just hitting better. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is, but you know, it's a, I guess it's the liquor, right? Mild that's, poison. That's why I golf. I golf just so I can drink. Yeah. <laughs> you and ninety percent of the other uh, people sure. who golf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What's your handicap? I don't care. Yeah, Miller Lite is my handicap. <laughs> No, yeah, no shots on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The nineteenth hole is why I play. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, so, where were we now? We were talking about the fasting, the alcohol, fasting. genetics, alcohol. Okay, so all these things all entailed and stuff. Do you think genetics plays much of a trait into what types of exercises work for, better for you as well? Oh, again, I think it just comes down to what you. I, I think there's more impact from what you did as a kid mm. than there is what you did culturally. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you grow up running and jumping, you're going to be more likely to be good at running and jumping. Like, so it most definitely is nurture over nature. That in point, that side right? of things, I think so. We yeah. know from, from research that, you know, athletes that grow up to be really good athletes are traditionally not single sport athletes. Yeah. As, a, as a rule, doing more things when you're younger has more benefit to your longevity in sport. So hockey players that also play basketball and are on the track team mm -hmm. or wrestle or whatever are, are typically better and play their game longer at a higher level than the ones that try to specialize too early. There's yeah. certain sports where that's not as effective. Things like gymnastics, unfortunately, tends to be young because the flexibility component's really important. Yeah. Um, but for just about everything else, the more you do, the better. Um, and you know, it's interesting. You can, you can dramatically change your phenotype. Like you can change your, your body's primary modality. There's lots of guys that have gone from being bodybuilders that have mm -hmm. decided to take up triathlons Yeah, and you just watch what the body does. It adapts incredibly well. And it doesn't necessarily matter about, you know, your background. It's just what you train for is what your body's going to get good at. It can be wildly different you know there's a um, a world champion powerlifter uh, by the name of steffi cohen who holds a couple of records and she's you know much she got like a 550 or 600 pound deadlift or something like that like she's she's incredible yeah jesus and she's just taken up boxing wow. in the last number of years okay. um and i remember listening to her speak and she said you know when i first started i couldn't run around the block really yeah and, being, wow. and road work is so critical to the it's not critical to boxing, but it's so deeply ingrained in the sport that everybody runs. Yeah. She was a powerlifter. She didn't run. No. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. not a thing. No. But, you know, she she does now. Yeah. And her body's adapted to it. Had she been a runner earlier, would that have had an impact? I don't know. Probably. Now, just go back a little bit there. You said phenotype. Phenotype is the, what exactly? That's, that's like the, the given structure of your body? Yeah, like... exactly. So okay. somebody who's... You can have a predisposition. So if you're, you know, five foot ten, hundred and fifty-five pounds with, you know, a forty-inch inseam, you're probably going to be a little bit better at running than I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm five eleven and I've got a thirty-two inch inseam and I weigh two hundred and thirty pounds, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I run like a rhino. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm not a gazelle. Yep, yeah, I was all sprints, no long distance. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was... Now I have run. I did for for quite a while. Decided that I was going to try to take up running and, and run distance, and I was able to get to the point where I could run, you know, a five k and in just 
just under 30 minutes. It's not mm-hmm. remarkable speed by any stretch of the imagination, but to move a person of my size yeah. for that long at a reasonable rhythmic rate is is pretty good. I miss being able to run that far, man. <laughs> like I, I try to like I I try to run even like 2 2 to 3k. Yeah, I, I get so winded. Yeah, it's it's hard. Again, your body just adapts to what it does. You know, we were talking before we started recording about, you know, wrestling and what happens when you suddenly go, oh man, I, I went back to jujitsu and I used to wrestle all this time and, yeah. you know, I had one class on a mat and I was dying oh, yeah. after the first 15 minutes. Literally throwing up in the bathroom yeah. five minutes before the class Yeah, is like over. my wrestlers like... will tell you, like wrestling shape is a thing. Mat shape is a thing. Oh, you yeah. can do all the running and airdyne and, you know, pushing prowlers and all that shit that you do in the off season or... Or, or when you're injured or for, for extra conditioning, it is not the same as doing the sport. Yeah. You know, we make a pretty big effort with the guys that I work with to keep 90% of the conditioning that they do in sport context. So we try to design drills or things like that that they do on a mat, on a bag, in class with certain different constraints, as opposed to trying to do box jumps and burpees and sled pushes and pull-ups all in sequence and saying, oh, that's mixed martial arts training. Well, it's not because... <laughs> You're not different. training martial arts. You're not there. training martial arts. Yeah, right? It's you're, different. You're pushing a sled. Yeah, That's exactly. Try, try being a wrestler and not wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, and never mind, you know, the technical skill involved. I mean, just the fact that try moving another body in practice for an hour without moving another body in practice. Like, you, you can't prepare for that without doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't have fucking robots that will wrestle you. At least no. not yet, right? No, so, like, yeah, exa- exactly. You have to do the sport. Like Lance Armstrong is a great example. So say what you want about his drug use, but the guy has a genetic predisposition to buffering lactate. So basically he can handle that burning sensation better than everybody else. His body gets rid of it sooner. So his really? ab- Yeah, so his ability on a bike to go at a pace that other people would struggle with is phenomenal, right? The guy that just broke the world record in the marathon was the same thing. You ever seen videos of people trying to run his race pace? No. Like, it looks like everybody else is sprinting, and he's Tell just... Tell me about this guy, though. What, what do you... Like... I, I don't know his name. It was it was kind of all over the news just recently. So he, he set another world record in the marathon pace. For fastest marathon? For fastest marathon. Like, sub two hours kind of thing, right? Like, the guy's phenomenal. Less than two hours. Less than two hours. A whole marathon. Yeah, a Holy whole marathon. Less than two hours. Most people run a half in that time. Yeah. Right? So he's running twice as quickly. So if you break down his time splits, like, he's running at world championship level for, like, the 1,500-meter race. For like the 800, he's holding that pace though, not for four minutes. Oh my he's holding God. it for two hours. It's like the new David Goggins. Yeah, exactly. Insane. But yeah, so instead of running fast. Yeah. So watch the videos of people trying to run his pace for any given length of time. Like they just fall apart. It's it's comical. And he just rolls through it. It's impressive. So Lance Armstrong on a bike had this ability to push and stay at a pace that nobody else could maintain. And you can argue wow. drugs, but he's just genetically gifted. Yeah. Because... When he went to not do that, when he went to do marathons and triathlons, he didn't do well. Hmm. Well, why? Like, he's this genetic freak. You should be able to do that. No, because he's really good on a bike. Uh, okay. And he didn't run. So when he went to running, it's like, well, yeah, you might have this genetic benefit, but you're not a runner, dude. Yeah. You spent the last 20 years on a bike. Yeah. So yeah, okay. there's a there's a length of time there that you haven't trained for in a sport that you don't do. You're not automatically good at it because you have this other genetic bonus. Yeah. I mean, that... That makes sense, though, too. Like, I mean, your body adapts, right? Yeah. And it, if you're doing the same exercise for, like you said, 20 years, mm-hmm. like other things are not going to work as right. well. Yeah, you can't just switch and, and assume it's going to make sense. Yeah. But you can switch. That's the cool part is you can go from being a muscle-bound bodybuilder. Your yeah. body will eat itself. It'll get down to the point where it's decided to do something you know, something else. I have a, a friend of mine that's a, a high-level strength coach and, and physique guy. He used to be a power lifter. He... 
um, was a, a well, I mean, monstrously strong, used to be kind of on the physique side of things and still works with clientele that way. But he's recently taken up triathlons again for the same reason. Like, I just want to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, why not? It, t- I mean, hard because yeah. <laughs> he's not used to doing that stuff. But, you know, yeah. since he moved to Australia, he's gone, oh, I'm going to do this other thing and taking up a different sport just for fun. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty deep. You but know- you can. That that gives you the, that's the coolest part about being human. You know, when it comes to a physical, you know, capability, you yeah. might not have the gifts to do it at a high level. But you have the equipment. But you have the equipment to do it. Yeah. You can do pretty much anything if you train long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. Yeah. Right? Without blowing yourself up, but. I got a bit of a firsthand experience that this year, actually, um, I joined a uh, like a a slow pitch beer league, like a fucking, <laughs> nice. And I know it's not it's not like I'm like going from like MMA into like fastball or anything sure, like that. But learning but, to hit a ball if you've never done it before is a hell man, of a skill. I played one season of baseball when I was in high school. I smoked that thing out of the park at my tryouts. Got on the team, no problem. Didn't hit another ball the whole season. <laughs> That's just how it was. I lucked out, and that was it for me, right? But nice. I realized that. When we were doing this slow pitch thing this year with uh, Ryan out there, um, when I when I, even though I couldn't necessarily like drill the ball out there anymore, like or like you know I didn't have the coordination for it, right? I golf, so the ball right. standing still when You're I right. hit it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I still had that sprint in me, right? From like so you could still get to the base before anybody. Yeah, else from when I was playing wide out in football and stuff, it's like you get in that stance and you hear the ball hit, and it's almost like a shot of the gun, and you right. just go. And that was the first time in like since high school that I was actually like peak sprinting right. effort, and it was so cool to feel again. Yeah, it's like oh, I, yeah. I remember what it was like to be athletic. This yeah, kind of fun. Yeah, but. it was like first time I've been on a team sport in a long time. You know, I mean, I got into MMA again this year with you guys back right. at TriStar, and that was another part of like holy shit. Like I'd never boxed before. Right. I did Taekwondo at some point, but like I'm trying to think of what I could do. That it's always be a fun like one. People are like, me, well, actually. gloves are 16 ounces. You ever try to just hold your hands in front of your face with one pound oh weights God, for an I hour? <laughs> I had no idea until I got in there. Yeah. Like you can't wash your hair the next day. You yeah. can't lift your arms up past your, it's past insane, your chest. It's insane, man. Like I I had no idea. Like I, I knew, I always knew that boxing cardio was intense, right? Mm-hmm. What they didn't tell me is that the cardio is still going when you put the gloves on. Yeah. It's not just the skipping the no. jump rope or whatever. No, it's, no, that's the easy part. Yeah. It's like hitting the bag until you can't lift your hands anymore. Yeah. And then trying to do it more. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Like with, with power. Insane. Yeah. Not looking like something out of a cartoon, right? Like, yeah. Trying to do it with some degree of, of technical capability and force is really challenging. So do you think, uh, like, obviously there are some athletic styles that, like, have no overlap whatsoever, sure. right? Like being a, I don't know, I'm trying to think right now, like a, a power lifter to being a swimmer. Right. Right. Um, do you think people who... That's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> Sink like a rock. Yeah. Next thing you know, we're going to have, uh, what's his name, Eddie Hall? Is yeah. Is that the guy? UK In MMA? Guy? Yeah, he's going to, well, he's going to try to, like, swim a record butterfly or something. Is he really? No, no. I'm oh, just, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. really? That's something I've never heard of. That'd be terrible. Like that. That'd be insane. He's the least aquadynamic person I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it'd be like a fast walrus. <laughs> <laughs> Walruses are probably fast. That's not even fair to a walrus. I was going to say, like, (laughs) walruses are pretty quick for their size in that water, you know? But, like, so do you think that people who practice things like MMA and, like, combat sports, stuff like that, do you think they're more well-rounded to be able to handle different uh, sports outside of that realm because of the fact that they engage with pretty much every aspect of it except for maybe sprinting and, like... So, yeah, I would... (laughs) Yeah, actually, I kind of do. The more varied 
the exercises are that you do, mm-hmm. the more variety you can handle. I think yeah. that, that kind of goes without saying. But MMA has that in spades. You know, you, you do so many different things mm-hmm. from, you know, if you're a really good mixed martial artist, you're not just doing kickboxing and and, and grappling. You tend to do specific wrestling classes, mm-hmm. you know, that don't involve the jujitsu side of it. You might do judo. Um, you, you might do boxing and kickboxing, which are two different styles, which gives you very yeah. different exposures. You probably do some strength and conditioning stuff. So you're probably in a weight room. If you're with me, you'll do Olympic lifting. Cool. Um, and I don't think that's because it's, it's magical either. I just like it because I like to coach it. Yep. So, you know, my athletes learn it because it makes me interested. Well, there's a lot of, um, explosiveness is an important factor in, in it's critical in probably every sport i think jujitsu is probably one of the few where you can get away with being a little less explosive because there's more time Mm -hmm. Um, but every other sport on the planet pretty much requires you to be fast in some capacity or another so you know like i said the olympic lifts have traditionally been you know pushed as you know the, the the golden standard for for power development that's not true uh, there's a lot of things that, that work just as well, if not better. I, like I said, I like to teach them because I'm selfish. Um, I, I like to be involved in a training session and teaching somebody to jump with weights in their hands is boring as fuck. Teaching somebody to do a power clean is way more fun. <laughs> so, so I get something out of it. That's really the only reason that I use them still is, cool. you know, if you're not proficient with them, we use them as a warm up and a teaching tool. If you are, then we use them as a loaded exercise, but there's no magic to them. I just like them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because you get exposure to it and then we do track days with my wrestlers they run and wrestlers don't run in the ring no so they have no need to run yeah um so i don't i don't get real technical with running mechanics i'm not a field sport guy Mm. i'll make that very clear you know one of the things that i I learned very quickly about working at a university is it's hard to be a head coach when you're involved with every sport because they're so different yeah and i have you know a pretty decent niche with power sports that don't involve running Mm -hmm. okay so volleyball athletes and cyclists and wrestlers and and boxing and things like that then they may jog but they're not running athletes i have a much harder time um you know with with sports like football soccer things like that that involve running mechanics because they're running so much yeah you know i didn't teach i I worked with track and field Mm -hmm. but because their sport is running the nice part about that is i had nothing to do with their running mechanics so they they actually did really well with the stuff that we were doing as you know as well um because again it's so far different whereas the other sports need some strength and conditioning on the field mm-hmm. and that's not my area of expertise okay. so if i run my runners or my, if i run my mma guys i'm not concerned about how they run because even our maximal stuff isn't that maximal they're not run they're they're not fast enough mm-hmm. right again wrestlers running is comical <laughs> right like most of them aren't good runners i have one I have one athlete who likes to run. I just picture them running all hunched over. I, I, yeah, I mean, most most of them. Are, you're not yeah. wrong. Most of them are. It's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> bad. Um, and I'm sure their mechanics are terrible. I, I like I said, I have a few that just like running, and so we run them more for their mental health than for their performance benefit. Mm. Uh, just because they kind of, kind of the way that they grew up and they like running, so we'll run them. But it's not necessary because they don't run in their sport, right? You're not running around a mat. Yeah. Your positioning's totally different. Your the weight on your lungs and your body is totally different. Same thing with MMA, right? I don't I don't like yeah. running my MMA guys either. They don't run. Yeah. They do a lot of jumping and moving and sidestepping, but they don't run. Yeah. So I don't need them to. If they want to, then fine. Yeah. But but it's not necessary. So the field sports stuff is a totally different ballgame. Yeah. I, I don't I don't specialize in it because they need it. They need to learn how to run in patterns and run in curves and stop and change direction and things like that. And the stuff that I do is, you know, largely tied to changing direction in a small space, not changing direction and then accelerating. Yeah. Right. So I guess like 
<laughs> the things some MMA guys might not be good at are sports like soccer or like yeah I mean like, they might have they might run and so they might have some capability there yeah. but if they played when they were younger probably do yeah um, if they didn't then no yeah soccer is a really weird one so it's one of the few sports that I think is like light year years and years and years behind in terms of its development for strength and conditioning compared to most others. Like they just mm -hmm. haven't embraced it the way that a lot of other ones have, particularly on the men's side. Well, there's even like, they, they've even got this whole new wave of like strength and conditioning for golfers now. Like they're doing So that's, some I mean, that's viable because they've work. gotten athletes involved, right? Yeah. Like if you go back in the day and you look at the John Daly's of the world, they're not impressive people. Oh, but yeah. any way that you want to swing it, uh, you know, watching, <laughs> watching, I know, right? It's uh, like your weight joke yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. But your, any, any, any way that you, that you look at it, Tiger, you know, revolutionized golf because he was athletic mm -hmm. and he brought this awareness to the fact that you can improve on a golf game by being an athlete. Yeah. Cause he, he used to say what he go run eight miles, hit the gym for an hour, go hit a bucket of balls. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, there's, there's other aspects of that that are, that people don't understand. They say, well, you don't need to have big muscles or anything. I got to swing a golf club. You don't, but you know, one of the, you do have these really, really high stress scenarios that you have to perform under and having really, really good cardiovascular health and things like that is really good for bringing your heart rate back down and managing stress and yep. a few other things. So it has knock-on effects. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to be good at doing Olympic lifting to be a golfer, but there's other fringe benefits there. And so, yeah, there's a huge amount of, of you know, research and now certifications that have done that. But hmm. That's interesting. Have you have you worked with anybody trying to go in like pro golf? And you like so I worked with the golf team when I was at at the university cool. uh, and really really enjoyed it. There's um I got to work with a couple of other professionals that specialize in that stuff. So I did kind of foundational strength programming, and then they took over a lot of the specific side of things. I'm assuming it was a lot of like rotational. Yeah, and, right. and counter rotation. So again, because golf swings one direction only, mm -hmm. um, you tend to do a lot of stuff to counteract some of that. Um, you know, I, I have, I have a phrase that I use with most of my athletes is that when you're good at a sport, I expect you to be pretty fucked up because, <laughs> because you've created those adaptations that are going to allow you to be good at what you're doing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Except it does come with a drawback. You've, you've done disservice to other movement patterns. So massive if you, muscle imbalance. Yeah, exactly. Like so that, you swing yeah. one way really well. You don't swing the other way. My volleyball players are always comical because they have one arm that's really, really mobile. They're spiking arms. Yeah, they're spiking because they rotate through their rib cage and they get all this big extension. And then you go to the yeah. other side and it's like, they, you know, they go nowhere. Yeah. They're just stuck. Kind of lopsided. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. you know, the, 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 the problem with most strength coaches that don't really understand that dynamic is, or you get these posture guys or any of the stuff and they go, well, you have to be balanced and you have to, you know, equalize all these different things. No, you don't like, you need to still have those adaptations that allow you to be good at your sport. You just want to try to minimize the potential damage on the other side. So, you know, you do stuff that stabilizes the back, not necessarily that tries to twist a golfer the other direction mm -hmm. because you want them to be able to twist really hard and really far one way. So you don't want to affect that. Yeah. You just want to make sure that there's some balance that they don't develop disc problems or yeah. right that kind of thing. So you get, you have to be careful, right? It, yeah, I don't want a boxer to suddenly have their chin like great posture with their, you know, head up and their shoulders back. <laughs> like <laughs> don't present, don't want. present yeah. a target, right? I expect them to have their chin tucked behind their yeah. shoulder at all times. Fighting time, so. is probably one of the only situations where having a natural hunch will probably, is probably be good. Yeah, yeah, wrestlers too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean you have to be careful with some of that stuff, but it, it's all going to be beneficial. You just depends on how much and for what. Okay. Most most strength sports like everything that we do in a weight room is general. So you talk yeah. about training for golf. Well, you can do specific exercises for golf, but the minute you start to get too close to the sport, that's where you actually start to run into problems. You don't want to swing, you know, a club attached to a cable 
mm. it throws off your mechanics. It actually makes you worse, right? You might yeah. be trying to do something similar to your sport, but it, it, it's going to pay, it, it's going to go the other direction. You're actually going to make yourself worse at, at your sport. So you kind of want to train them in a sense where you change as much, like you improve as much as you can outside of what already feels natural to them. Yeah, you're trying to improve their foundations. You're trying yeah. to build, give them a bigger toolbox. Mm -hmm. But as an athlete, so you as a golfer, you can go to the gym and want a big chest. Great. It you know, there's, gets there's in some, the way, though. It, I mean, it can. Yeah. I think there's some instances where, you know, you could argue that. But if your goal is performance, you want to build a big chest and you want to do some other things for golf, then great. You're still going to do the same basic exercises that you were going to do before. Mm -hmm. You're still going to squat. You're still going to do all those other things. It doesn't mean that the squat's going to be the thing that necessarily makes you a better golfer, but having stronger legs has been shown to improve golf swing mechanics, right? You yeah. can, when you have to duck under and drive your hips through the ball and things like that, learning to control hip function and, and, and glute mechanics is really important. Well, you don't necessarily do that weighted, but having stronger legs and glutes is going to improve your ability to do that. It's up to you as an athlete to make that happen in your game. So you're telling me if I just stop skipping leg day, I'd take like at least four strokes <laughs> off my game? Is that what you're that's, that's actually the number. Yeah. yeah. It's well, yeah. <laughs> you add 30 yards to your drive and you take four strokes off your game just, a, just yeah. by doing leg day once a week. That's a quote from Bryson DeChambeau too. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's 100%. <laughs> I, I just think that in general, being strong is, is probably better for most people. And I don't mean power lifter strong. I don't think you have to get underneath a bar and bench press a Buick. No. I, I think, right, like, I, you know, there's a limit to that. And I, I'm kind of a strength guy. I like my athletes to be strong. And I, I've, you know, people that know me from the industry will, will know that I'm kind of more on that side of things. It's good to feel strong too. Cause you, it, feel, you feel capable. It like, is, you really but do. you know, there's a, there's a limit to that. Like I deal with a lot of guys that come in that are actually quite weak. And so I've developed a reputation for being a strength guy, but that's because the athletes that I get are Wimpy. Are wimpy, yeah. yeah <laughs> like, enough. you know, we, we we just had, you know, when I was doing some of the teams at the university, some of them just hadn't been exposed to weight training at a young age. And so they were way far behind their peers. You know, they had guys that they were competing against that were monsters. And the guys on our team were, were not. So it's not a matter of power development. They're just, they're physically weak. They just can't handle the same kind of workload. Mm. So, I mean, it just comes down to what the athlete needs. But you know, getting stronger is usually beneficial. There's a limit. But I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, generally speaking, again, you don't need to be a power lifter to be an MMA fighter. In no. fact, it's probably not a good idea. But but if you can teach your body that lifting heavy shit keeps it alive longer, it might just... There's benefit there, be man. Benefit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does good things to your tissues and your bones. Mm -hmm. So even from that standpoint, you know, that's fairly beneficial. From a longevity standpoint, if you're a recreational athlete, you're in your 60s and, you know, you're worried about your golf game, cool. Lift weights. It'll improve your golf game and you'll live longer. Yeah. Your knees might not hurt as yeah. much, you know? It's, yeah. 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 Like do some cardio, do some weightlifting. Like the two of those things are the, the one of the few things that's been researched heavily to say, you want to live longer, you got to lift weights and you got to do some cardio. And mm. End of story, right? You, yeah. Your heart has to be healthy and you got to have, you got to have some bone density. So um, out of all those sports and like athletes that you've worked with and stuff i'm curious on the mental aspect of it as well so like which out of all of the varying athletes that you've coached and, and trained with and stuff um is there a specific type of athlete like whether it be mma or baseball football whatever that comes to you and you've noticed a more determined mindset from any of these specific sports or is it entirely unique to the person? Like, does does a, a person growing up with an experience in a certain area of athleticism, does that also train their mentality better than other sports? So, yes to both. Um, okay. I'm lucky enough in that I deal with mostly athletes that work at a fairly high level. Mm -hmm. So it's 
as far as I know, it's largely individual. You either have the work ethic and have the dedication. Because it's not even work ethic. It's it's more about the fact that you have the discipline to keep doing what you are doing when you yeah. don't want to, right? Mm-hmm. The day that you the, the day that you don't want to get out of bed, the David Goggins stuff, right? I lay in bed and I'd rather just hit the snooze alarm, but I got to get out of bed because I'm a little bitch. <laughs> the guys that are able to do that yeah. are typically more successful. And what do you find them in a specific Well, that's where I was kind of going is I'm lucky enough to work with athletes at a high level. Mm -hmm. The ones that get there tend to be those people already. So does a certain sport breed more of them? I'm not sure it does. Those people tend to rise higher in their sport. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's the sport that does it because I've worked with really high-level volleyball players. And I've worked with really high-level volleyball players that aren't mentally tough and don't make it. You know, I I have a couple of stories from from people that we thought were going to be, you know, you know, Canadian national team kind of superstars and they just didn't really want to, you know, they went to school down in the States and had Mm -hmm. a great time and decided "Eh, this was good enough. Yeah. I I don't, I don't really want to work harder to be better than that. That was, that was great. I enjoyed my time and I probably have the potential to go further and I just don't want to, or didn't have the work ethic for it or whatever. And then you have other people that are the polar opposite. You know, I have two athletes that I work with right now that walked onto the team and ended up becoming MVPs and top scorers and, you know, playing pro because they just didn't stop working. Nice. Nice. I still love that quote that, you know, hard work beats talent or yeah, hard work beats talent when talent stops working hard. Yeah, absolutely. Or when talent doesn't work hard because it just, it's true. You have to have some level of mental fortitude to do that. And I'm not... I'm not convinced you can train a lot of that. I know it's it's big in sport. You know, you got to train to be tough. You got to push through, train the mental toughness. I don't think you do. You yeah. either have it or you don't. I've never met an athlete who performs at a high level that isn't mentally tough. And I think they just get weeded out. Like the process of being a good athlete is hard. Yeah. At, at, at anything. If you want to be a good marathon runner, it's hard. If you want to be a good enduro hiker, just kind of one of the things that I do. It's hard. If you want to be good at jujitsu, it's hard. If you yeah. want to be good at golfing, it's hard because you have to spend so much time doing it that if you don't want to, or on the days that you really don't want to, you decide not to, yeah. you're not going to be able to accumulate enough time doing it to get better. And so you're just going to kind of self-regulate to the mediocrity, right? You're just not going to rise to the top and be good at it. Yeah. So you feel like once you've surpassed average people, like what more is there? But yeah. for the, the top guys, it's like, well, there's the top. That's what I want right. to take on. And yeah. and so, okay, so those guys are at the top for a reason because they're even more mentally tough than you. Yeah. Right. But, you know, they might have more talent or they might just work harder or they might just not stop working. So there's no particular sport in mind that would breed that? I, I, not, not really. I no? think that there's probably some... There's probably some reality to sports that have a physical component to them or pain component to them that yeah. makes you a little bit tougher. Um, that being said, you know, I know some volleyball players that are absolute monsters, right, that that have no quit in them. You know, they'd have nothing left and they'll still they'll still go. They'll train hard. They'll be sick with who knows what and still show up to practice when like they don't need to. Like a border collie. Yeah, they'll exactly. Like I'll just, well, I'll just yeah. work myself to death. Yeah. They'll just run until their heart gives out. Um, I mean, I do believe that certain combat sports are probably more likely to breed that because not only are you working hard, but you're taking punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know many people tougher tougher than wrestlers or anybody with a wrestling background. You don't even have to have wrestled that long. No, it's just if if you can do a couple seasons in wrestling, then, yeah, you're you know, probably you're, all right. Yeah, because yeah, it sucks. Yeah, you're getting yeah yeah like still... a technical practice is not is not easy, yeah. right? Like oh, it's a light day today because we're doing technique. Yeah, you're still messed up because you got taken to the mat 80 times in the last in the first half an hour. Right? Oh yeah, like it sucks. Yeah, people don't understand the kind of burn that comes with constantly rubbing against these mats. It's no, like, it's terrible. Like, yeah. go to a boxing class. I don't mean like a 30 minute hit. Go to a proper kickboxing class. Mm-hmm. 
and understand that now you're going to do that and have to deal with another person who's going to try to punch you in the face. It's already hard enough. Yeah. But now do it when you're taking punishment and you have fear. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy to me. Like when I got when my first sparring session at TriStar there, like I like I'd wrestled, right? right. I'd never done full on sparring though like that. In Taekwondo we did, we had the big gear and sure. stuff though. And it's all kicks. It's like, right. okay, whatever. I get in there. Yeah. First time that first punch- right hook really sucks. Yeah. It's the first time I've been punched <laughs> in the face in over like since I was in high school. And right. it was like, whoa, hang on a second. This is actually happening yeah. now. That's that hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And then to like have a moment where you kind of think, I kind of liked that. Right. It's weird. But it's- so, and some people really have it and some people don't. I don't. I did it. Yeah. I did it because I was too proud to quit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, short story. I, yeah. I joined the wrestling team in university and I lasted less than a week. Okay. Because I hated it. It, <laughs> yeah, was, it was terrible. I got put with a guy that tied me into a pretzel. Like I, I puked on the first practice because we ran bleachers for like 45 minutes. Dude, it was fuck. terrible. Right. Yeah, like I, I quit. I was like, this is awful. It's this is not wrestling. <laughs> this is not what I remember. This is terrible. And then I got into MMA because that was smarter. Yeah. <laughs> Because so, you can take a break with boxing once in a while, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and I was just too proud to quit that one. So after yeah. after I, I did that. But again, it's the same problem. It's like I hated getting hurt. Yeah. And I don't really like hurting other people. I like jujitsu because the end result is not to do damage, right? Like you're, yeah. you're not trying to actually hurt your training partner. Unfortunately, I think in boxing and kickboxing, even if you like the guy that you're working with. You're like going all in there of, to kill, yeah. Yeah, it's... like all of my guys that I work with, you know, still come in and they laugh about the fact that they, you know, gave their brother a black eye, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah like, it's... You guys are built different. Anybody that, that boxes for a living, you know, or does it recreationally at a high breed, level, man, absolutely. Yeah, they just like pain. I have lots of guys, two in particular, that they don't really show up until they get hit in the face. Right? I find that there's almost a distinction between grappling martial artists and striking martial artists. Like if you take like boxing versus wrestling, for example, like in boxing, they're almost in it because they like the fight. Mm-hmm. They like the they like to feel like they're inflicting, yes. and like they like to know that they can like deal some damage. But with wrestling, it's almost like they like to test their own self grit. You know what I mean? Like I, I would probably agree with a large part of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've worked. I work with some very, very high level wrestlers, mm-hmm. and not a single one of them has a mean bone in their body. Yeah, like they're not. They're not throwing somebody into like a power half Nelson trying to drive your elbow into the ground. Yeah. Because you just want to cause pain. Yeah. They like the technical aspect. Yes, it's a physical sport. Mm -hmm. Wildly physical. Probably tougher than just about anything else on the planet. I would argue that heavily. However, they're they're not in it to wreck the other guy. Yeah. Right? It's technical. You're trying to unbalance them. Yes, you have to cause some pain in order to get them to move. Mm. But the goal is not the causing of the pain. Yeah, it's not to knock them out. Right. Whereas, yeah, in kickboxing, it's like, yeah, I'm going to annihilate your leg to the point where you can't stand on it anymore. Yeah. It's like to the you point You have to have where... some level of sadism there, right? Like no, you're absolutely. trying to hurt the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you go in there and it's like, you know, with, with wrestling, it's like the better man's going to come out of that ring, but it's based on like, you know, technicality sure. and stuff, right? Somewhat. And then when it comes to boxing, it's like... Sometimes it's the tougher guy. Yeah. If I don't knock you out, you're going to wish I did by the right. end of this match. Right. It's exactly. Sometimes it's the guy that's tougher, right? Yeah. I work with one fighter in particular that his moniker is is designed around that, right? Like, I'm just going to keep coming. Yeah. If you don't kill me, I'm going to make your day hell. It's the Rocky Balboa approach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I block punches with my face, but I'm going <laughs> to give them just as bad and yeah. you're going to take it worse. By the end of this match, my face is going to look like a piece of meat yeah. that's going to be a prime steak. Right. And yours is going to be ground beef. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. And I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Oh. Yeah. Like so I, Those guys are just different. Yeah. I, I never, like, I'm a big pacifist that way myself. Like, getting into wrestling even, that was kind of like my my own attempt at trying to be, like. The tough guy? 
I guess so. We're just proving to I myself that I could handle something like that, right? Because yeah. I, I, I hate fights. I don't, yeah. I don't like the I feeling. I did too. I, you know? I hated it. That's yeah. why I did it. I bounced for five years. Yeah. Oh fuck. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I, I did everything in my power not to fight. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I hated it. Yeah. And you get guys who go into boxing, and like most of the boxers that I know, definitely had an aggression issue yep. when they were younger. They liked to and fight. And they needed to find an outlet for that. Yeah. So and at least it was legal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now you have people to tell you when to stop beating them up. And right. That, that's about it. The bell stops you. You're like yeah. Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Bell rings and you go on. Yeah. I find that that's one of the most interesting things about martial arts is like, it's almost like the offense defense mentality mm-hmm. split into grappling and striking. Yeah. It's some, some, yeah. I, that's not wrong, actually. Yeah. There's I, probably some crossover, but... Oh, yeah, there's definitely some crossover somewhere, but I think it's kind of like the... I don't know, it's like if MMA is the yin-yang, yin right? Then, yeah. like, grappling and striking... Are the is extreme like the ends of it, yeah. Game, right, yeah. So it's it's kind of... Yeah, it's, it's really neat to see that. And, like, to see... I don't know, like, do you do you find that people from one end of that spectrum take instruction better than the other or like what what do you find as far as like when you're training a wrestler versus a boxer what's the wrestler generally being more i guess uh what do they come around to faster like what do they learn faster mm, i don't know if i have an answer for that i'm again i'm really lucky in the fact that i don't work with people that i don't want to mm. I, don't, I don't i don't i don't have to take on a client that i i don't i don't jive with I only really like working with people that are coachable. If I have to like browbeat you into doing what I'm asking, it's probably not going to go well because again, I'm not an aggressive person. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be the guy that yells at you when you're doing something wrong or the one that, you know, messages you all the time. You know, I'm not going to be the one that rides your ass about what you're doing on the weekend. You know, Get there's, there's the strength coaches. There's, there's, the coach. there's well-known strength coaches out there that, you know, have threatened to phone athletes' moms because, you know, they went for a drink at their friend's wedding, you know, and like, like <laughs> stupid shit like that. Like, and they, and they exist. You're like, wow, it's inappropriate. Like, but you're an idiot. It is a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a thing. Like you're an asshole. You're just a control freak. It has nothing to do with the coachability of the athlete you just feel like it is i i i only like working with people that have the ability to kind of keep open open mind and learn things mm-hmm. so um they they tend to come around to it. i think combat sports does do that because again if you don't learn you get your ass handed to you like if you you can't just figure out combat sports for the most part you might have a long time ago when they first were being developed but nowadays they're so technical that mm. you can't just watch youtube videos and assume that you're going to be really really good at jujitsu yeah like it's not um you can't just like remember when you were growing up. You used to think like I don't know if you did, but for me it was like I've watched every Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. I know I could kick your ass. Because you know? yeah, <laughs> drunken master taught right? you everything that you yeah, need to know. Yeah. Like we we've seen those videos on YouTube. We know the Russian guys that have done that. Right? It's yeah. not super effective. It's yeah. comical. And then you get into the first fight of your life, and you're like, nope, this is nothing like what it looks like in the yeah. movies. Well, why did I throw four punches? And now I can't breathe. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Exactly. It's a that's a whole. It's just a wild topic, man. The world of combat sports, like it goes back so far to like wrestling back in like the ancient it's Roman th- thousands of years old. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's arguably the first sport, right? Yeah, true. Enough. Probably, probably racing, racing and wrestling, running and wrestling are probably the f- the top, the first two sports. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm not a historian or like a... not. Neither am I. Or unless it's somebody like throwing a rock at a at a target, right? <laughs> I bet you I can hit that boulder, you know, better than you can. Yeah. But uh, probably foot races and probably wrestling. Cool. So with the that all that I feel like we've covered a lot, like as far as like I think it was like a ping pong ball, yeah. of topics. It was yeah. pretty good actually. Yeah. I have one more that I wanted to approach just because sure. we did touch on it earlier the aspect of mental health, yeah, and mindsets. Um, I'm wondering 
What what do you find in your clients um, that helps them most with their their mental health through the exercise? And like, what what also helps with like? I guess I just want to talk about mindsets and like what what you've seen to help mental health and the mindset of determination. Oh, that's most. that's so individual. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I have I have two athletes that I work with that are sisters that are so intrinsically self motivated it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they they get anxious if they miss practice. You know they're you know they're those kind of people. Like yeah. there's there's nothing that's going to stop them from being confident with what they do. They're just so in tune with it. But like I'm I'm just I'm good. I'm I'm all right. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other athletes that need to talk to a therapist on a regular basis. They have a really hard time with self-visualization. Yeah. They they have a lot of negative self-talk that they have to learn to eliminate. You know, they they overanalyze mistakes. You know, they, they dwell on them. It's really dependent on the person. I, I don't think it's possible these days to get to a high level of sport without doing some form of Mental therapy, health mental health maintenance. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I think just because the world itself is a little bit more more hard on people that way because our stressors are not as direct anymore. You're not worried about, you know, famine and, and saber tooth tiger. You're, you're worried about, you know, what somebody said about you online or reputation, you know, reputation, things like yeah. that. So the stresses just last longer and it affects your body in a little bit of a different way. And I think that's harder on an athlete's mental health. Um, and again, yeah. because your losses are more public, right? You yeah. didn't just lose at a high school tournament. Now you lost at a high school tournament. It was publicized, right? It was live streamed and everybody saw you get, you know, pinned. Yeah. Right? That was the, First uh, first wrestling match I ever did, lost, right? At my school. Mom was right there. I ran to the washroom first time I cried. Yeah, for in, sure. In a sport ever. Didn't happen, ever, like I didn't end up crying after a loss any time after that But that again. first one was gnarly, yeah. right? Yeah. It's it's a real eye-opener, you know? It, it is. And, and you know, you either have the, the, the capacity to come back from it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of that can come from you being a kid and being raised to be a resilient person, understanding that failure isn't catastrophic and it's okay but yeah um a large part of it is intrinsic you know people that are just tough that way and people that really can't handle that kind of letdown do you think an attitude towards failure like that though you think that's developed like learned or do you think it's? i, I don't have an answer for you I, I mean i think it largely is you know if you if you if the way that you're brought up failure is the worst thing ever yeah. I think that's pretty negative. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it, because then you're so afraid of it, and when it happens, you're fragile. Yeah, I used to think that a lot. Like, if you fail, you might as well give up. But, like, failure is like— It's just learning. Yeah, first attempt. Actually, you know, I know that if you listen to other podcasts, you know, like, guys like Jocko Willink and things like that talk about jujitsu being a bit of a, th- a superpower. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of comical. But, you know, wrestling jujitsu, one of the things that you learn very, very quickly is learning is the— f- Losing is the fastest way to learn. Absolutely, yeah. You you have to do it wrong so that you can figure out what the hell to do right the next time. Yeah. Um, the minute you get that stuff through your head and you stop associating associating loss with a negative side of things, and you can start to go, okay, well, that was a learning experience. How can I change? I, I think that's yeah. so much more beneficial. And unfortunately, you know, in today's day and age, we don't let people lose. We don't let it. We don't let it be a learning experience anymore. No. Now it's just we we want to. I'm not. I'm not convinced that it's as bad as as social media and things make it out to be. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people in the states, and you know, they don't have participation medals for every single person that runs in an event and things like that. It's yeah. not. It's not that bad. I think you see the extremes, but I'm sure it's probably something easy. Like that. Something like that. It's yeah. probably easier than it, it used to be. Well, I know that was uh, speaking personally. For, again, it was I. I 
got a lot of those participation ribbons when I was younger. Yeah. And it was like, it really did teach me that even if I suck at something, I'm still going to get something out of it. True. But it, I. But at least it's a participation ribbon. It's not like the same size trophy as the guy that won. Yeah, that's you know I mean? <laughs> the guy that won still got the big one, right? Yeah, we you, got, you got the, the red ribbon. ribbon yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, thanks for showing up. Yeah, but you know, as long as that, as long as the loss is not considered a negative, it's like, yeah, you didn't win, but mm-hmm. did you learn something from it? Like, you know, I, I, if the one thing that parents could do well with kids is two things: one, if they, if and when they lose, because chances are they will. If you can teach them that. It's still it's still about whether or not they had fun. Like, did you enjoy it? Like, yeah. I didn't like lose. I didn't like losing. Okay, you don't have to like losing. Yeah. But did you like playing? Yeah, playing was fun. Okay, then let's concentrate on that. And what did you learn from losing? Well, I learned I didn't like losing. Yeah. Okay, we know that part. What did you What did you learn from it? Well, I did this thing wrong, and then he did whatever. Okay. So now we need to work on that one thing. As long as you can create an educational mm-hmm. component to it. But yeah, I, I think you. I think it's the hockey. You know, the hockey parent. You know. Yeah, thing where you know they get too involved and you know they live, they live yeah they live vicariously through their kids and as long as that doesn't happen I think for the most part you can create a lot of positive from the loss and most again most athletes that work at a reasonably high level most people that work at a reasonably high level will will have failed and come through it on the positive side of things entrepreneurs learn that lesson pretty early for the most part like you do stuff wrong and you go oh that didn't work and yeah. so most most entrepreneurs were never successful the first time yeah. the va- in fact i think it's the vast majority yeah my dad was one and he never really got successful at all <laughs> i mean <laughs> sorry dad i love you <laughs> i don't know i'm kind of in that boat too you know I, yeah. I run a successful gym but it's not like i don't have 18 locations right oh yeah, yeah, one, yeah. But, but at the same time you know i think guys that start big companies they go through and they you know go bankrupt oops that didn't work try yeah. again right and it's yeah. not you know, the whole, you know, get knocked down nine, get up 10 kind of thing. But I, I'm not sure it's just the resilience. It's just the fact that you're willing to try again, mm-hmm. right? Willing to go, okay, I learned from that as opposed to just <laughs> being too stupid to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm the second for sure. That's, a, that's great. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay, so um, we're getting up to the end here. So I just wanted to ask you... Um, one piece of advice for somebody struggling to get control of their life um, through, like, they feel they want to lose weight, they want to be in better shape, they just want to feel overall better. And out of your experience in this line of work, I feel like you might have a good generic piece of advice. And I know it's probably going to be something like eat better, work harder, whatever, right? But um, is there any little tidbits of help you can drop for someone like that? Yeah, uh, because I don't take my own advice. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. And it's going to seem oddly self-serving based on the nature of what I do for a living. Get a coach. Get a coach. Okay. When you're anybody that has a hard time knowing where to start, it's because the way that the world is today, you have so much information readily available and it's often very conflicting you need to have somebody in your corner that can take the guesswork out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I don't know what to eat. Okay, well, we're going to try this to start off with. Well, what about these other things? Don't worry about that for now. We're just going to try this. We might play with those later. But they give you at least some direction to follow. And they kind of keep it. It's like, they're like bumpers on a bowling lane, mm-hmm. right? You might kind of deviate, but they're the ones that kind of keep you on track. No, we're just going to do this. No, we're just going to do this. We're going to do this exercise program. Well, I want to try this thing. Okay, we can try that. But let's let's just start here. So find somebody to help you along the way. Don't feel like you absolutely have to do it alone, right? There's lots of people that do low-level coaching services for not a lot of money. If you need a lot more help, there's a lot of people that will charge and 
an arm cool. and a leg and breathe down your neck the entire time. If that's what you need, you can get somebody that holds your hand the whole way. But oftentimes getting somebody to help, okay. find, finding somebody to be in your corner is is probably the best way because there's so much information. You need somebody to weed through the bullshit. And maybe try and keep it outside of your, your realm of social circle, right? Like I, you want to coach outside Way that. more so. Yeah. That, that's probably even more important. Hire somebody you don't know. Like that has a decent reputation, but hire somebody that you don't know. Like hiring, I, I try not to work with family mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I discourage you know, people from working out with their spouses and things like that. Not because I don't think it's necessarily a great idea, but if you talk to any boxing coach, like don't train your partner. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't, the dynamic, it's really hard to keep professional. So I, I recommend finding somebody that's outside of your social circle to, cool. to do that with. Absolutely. Awesome. All yeah. right, cool. Well, you guys heard that just like your therapist, you wouldn't go to therapy with your cousin. So don't take coaching from your uncle. <laughs> That's probably even more important. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to wrap up today. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. This was The Deficit. I'm here with TJ. If you want to give some shout-outs, TJ, uh, feel free. Any one of the cameras, just, you know, your social media handles, whatever it is. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Facebook, I'm on, but don't worry about that one. TJ Sider for my Instagram stuff. Uh, you can follow my gym, which is Strongside New West. Um, or you can just email me, tj at thestrongside.ca. I can answer any questions that you might have. Awesome. Thanks. We're out. See you later, guys. Thanks very much.
I'm yours for your handsome old Oh, Raffaello, won't you see me as your muse? Sculpt me into a beauty, it's long overdue Chisel me with billows, engrave me anew Cause I know, I know I know